Hey everyone, and welcome back. It's It's been some time since I last recorded, but of course, there's been a lot that's happened, and I've been having to hunker down and get my house in order, per se. But, you know, if you haven't uh, caught up, at least with my Twitter, where I post uh, just like daily you know, updates about my life, I have completed uh, my bachelor's degree. So now I'm a graduate, undergrad of a history, a major in history, and a minor in communications. And yeah, this is, um, it's been a long time coming. You know, I graduated some time ago, some 2015. That's when I graduated. And then, of course, uh, just dealing with general instability in my life, trying to balance between life and my, my academic career. I've had to endure so much, but I've finally gotten to the point where I completed my degree, and it's just a lot to think about, because, well, what do you even say? Like, you know, it just, yeah, it's just been so much is happening just in the world. Of course, you know, I'll be talking about some major, major updates, um, you know, major world global crisis. But yeah, I mean, you know, just personally, I've changed so much uh, through these years, and I guess it's just, you know, me getting older, and uh, I, I guess you could say I've been uh, more jaded. It's just so interesting because, you know, as you get older, I wouldn't say I've lost hope, but it's just like uh, the world kind of gets a little grayer. I mean, I don't want to sound too depressing, but uh, it's just uh, it, 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 there's like a battle fatigue that you get when you when you endure these hardships and struggles, and then you get to this new stage of life where you've accomplished something great, but then you, you're kind of just still like in an unstable position. I, I don't know, know exactly how to uh, properly explain what I'm feeling because I, I am proud of the accomplishments. I am proud of finally achieving this academic pursuit. But for a lot of people, this is like just, you know, just getting your bachelor's like that's the easy part. And for me, it was just like this struggle for survival. But everything's relative, you know. Everybody's experiences are relative. So, you know, I, I I give myself some grace because, yeah, there has been a lot of instability. And I have experienced a lot. You know, I survived it. And now entering this new stage, you know, this is like actual like adulthood now. Like, oh, yeah, I got my degree now. And, of course, like all these family members asking what I'm going to do next. Next, I already know what I'm going to do, and uh, it's kind of hard to explain to them that the podcast and the YouTube program that I want to dedicate more time towards to, to build on is not going to be, at least in the early stages, as lucrative, but it is fulfilling. And yeah, now I can f fully put my mind to it. I guess that's why I'm sort of like half-assing it, you know, because I've had to balance between life and, and work and school just to get this degree. But now that I've achieved it and I've achieved some you know, academic status, you could say, now I can become more uh, concentrated and focused with this work, which is you know, involving political commentary, documentary work that I have stored and, and planned. And yeah, I mean, I've, I have some work in mind, you know, research that I, I've, I'm going to dedicate more time towards, you know, sort of like giving myself homework. 
yeah, I mean, like on JSTOR, like I have so many PDFs now. And the, the idea that I have is to uh, research into moments of, you could say, collapse historically, just in general around the world. Uh, like I'll at least you know tell you preliminary projects that I have in mind, especially with the Great Depression. I've been always curious about the Great Depression and just like the public health struggles through that because let's let's be real here you know a lot of people probably died from that but anytime I try to like look up you know what what death figures they were like there's no concrete answer for that so and I'm not like I'm not as authoritative of a person to like give you to just look through it and like oh here's how many people died I just I'm just curious about yeah I'm going to try to have to look at it more systemically like what public health adjustments were made during that period to address this economic crisis and then also there's um the dust bowl you know which is more of an environmental disaster i mean it's pretty much uh, an apocalypse so uh, the dust bowl is also another subject matter that i would like to research on and you know i'm trying to figure out or i'm trying to you know download uh, these pdf articles to to research into but that's at least you know because i have other you know projects and articles like downloaded that's just like an idea of like uh, historical circumstances that i'm going to research into and uh, produce into a video so that um is going to take some time you know i should have you know, at least you know done some work beforehand but there's like from for myself i'm the kind of person that i can't overload myself i can't overwork myself because that's what's been causing these struggles i get overworked and i basically start to you know break down like I just burn out. So I that's why I kind of took it easy for at least a semester just to like focus on my academic work for for classes, get my grades up, and also just work and pay the bills. So yeah. But this is a new stage. You know, it's just so interesting. You know, I was just thinking, you know, it was funny. So for the graduation, they had us check in like like two hours beforehand. And, um, yeah, like I, I was literally like the first person to check in, which is kind of funny. I'm usually, I'm usually punctual, but I was thinking, oh, you know, I should show up early because who knows what's going to be there. Literally the first person to check in. <laughs> and, um, yeah, it was interesting because like they didn't have any chairs in like the waiting area because it was like a, a basketball gym, but they didn't have any chairs for us. So literally we had, to, I, I stood for like just two hours straight and luckily my mom, she brought some more comfortable dress shoes because like if I had just wore my regular dress shoes, I would have been dying. <laughs> but I mean, I felt worse for the girls because they straight up just were in their heels like that. That must have sucked. Yeah. But yeah, you know, we, we did our sort of pre-ceremony, you know, just lining up and being guided by uh, the 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 faculty members and um we went into this um in, in our in, in huntsville the the sam houston uh, university our ceremony was in the basketball court arena which is they which they call the coliseum which is actually much smaller than i thought it was going to be but yeah it was interesting i mean it was sort of like i mean this isn't it's a good school here, but it isn't like some big like it's not like UT Austin or AM. So yeah, some of the it, yeah, it, it 
I'll be honest, it, it was a more low-key sort of ceremony, but still, I mean, a degree is a degree, so that's all I cared about, and it was just nice to do that ceremony, because, like I said, you know, it's been a lot of work and a lot of hardship, and there was a point where I just completely gave up on even, like, achieving this, so, yeah, this is just nice, and, you know, I was thinking about my grandmother, and it's just, you know, these sort of, like, generational, like, journeys that occur, like, especially when I think about my grandmother, it's really emotional. Like, I was almost crying at the, the pre-ceremony because I was thinking about my grandma and, you know, what she had to live through in the, in the Dominican Republic. Really primitive lifestyle. Like, I, I mean, really, like, she was a peasant. And, you know, her, her aspirations and dreams for her children and grandchildren and, you know, how her in one generation... I mean, I'm not a first-generation college student because my father, he was a chemical engineer. So I'm not going to, I mean, there, you know, that's like a, another achievement for some other, especially immigrant uh, families. So, you know, I'm not going to sit here and claim I'm a first generation college student because my father, he's a chemical engineer, which is like, that's you know pretty good. Like, <laughs> you know, like I could never. Yeah. So, but yeah, you know, that still, you know, there's that generational journey. You know, my son, he graduates as a chemical engineer and then my grandson graduates as a historian you know my sister she has a human resources degree so yeah i mean it's just um you know we, we made those journeys and those steps that's you know that's i mean i talk about the american dream how you know it's basically like bullshit but like this is the american dream right you leave your homeland to come to this country and provide for a better future for your children not to say that if I was still in DR, like, honestly, because I have cousins that live very well out there, so I probably would have lived a comfortable life, but, you know, it's like, yeah, you know, it, I was thinking about that, and I was sort of, you know, getting emotional about it. I'm also, I'm pretty emotional thinking about it now, but yeah, but now that I think about, well, what's next? Because again, like, my father was at the ceremony, and I mean, him and I aren't really on the best terms, but it was nice for him to be there. And, of course, one of the first questions he asked was, oh, what's next? I'm just like, I don't know. <laughs> I just don't know. You know, as I'll expand on further in this episode, you know, I want to be unfiltered in the uh, views that I express here, you know, and working sort of that nine to five, you know, safe job. It's going to be difficult, especially with these radical, quote unquote, radical uh, opinions that I'm going to express. But. Yeah, of course, if I say to them, I'm going to do a podcast and I'm going to do YouTube, it's not going to be fully um, accepted, um, but this is what I have to do. This is the work that I need to commit towards because, I mean, it's sort of like, you know, what else am I going to do? Because otherwise, it's just, I'm going to be living a lie. That's pretty much what it's going to feel like, you know, at least with this, this is my work and my project that I'm going to build on. I mean, this is this is ambitious, if you really think about it. Sure, yeah, I mean, it's a podcast, so everybody has a podcast, but at least with my podcast and my, my YouTube, you know, supplemental videos uh, that I'm going to work on, it's, um, you know, I'm using it as a real platform because a lot of podcasters, they'll just have, you know, the platform to just talk about sports or, and it's not necessarily a bad thing, but, 
it's just more of the same stuff, right? Like you either hear sports or you either hear like social media drama or financial like hustlers. There's a lot of those like, you know, hustler culture, you know, either, you know, pushing some crypto scam. Yeah. So at least here with my program, my plan is to speak on current events, give you my perspective on this in a larger perspective of collapse, you know, as we document um, and and basically live through this climate crisis, this uh, mass extinction, uh, this, uh, you know, growing police state. And as we're seeing here, genocide around the world, you know, Holocaust unfolding in real time. Uh, yeah, there's there's much to discuss on and the future is um, we don't know what's going to happen. That's the thing the the future is unfolding. As I say, you know, I've said before, like history is right now. So like as a historian, now I have authority to speak on these current events and provide a broader context to it. Because again, there's a lot of propaganda going around and most of that propaganda is in the support of the status quo. But yeah, so I, you know, I've spoken quite a bit and this is a bit of an intro uh, just to warm things up before I expand on the main uh, meat and potatoes of this show. And if you've been listening at least this far, uh, you'll definitely appreciate it. And I would encourage, you know, as I will be doing this more full time, of course, I will be putting ads in this program. Uh, but if you want the ad free versions of this show, you can check out my Patreon as little as $1 support and you can get early access to these podcasts. And I'm also going to have to figure out because again, like social media, like management, I'm, I'm going to have to see about uh, better working on that, especially with the Patreon because you know, of course they have the tiers. So I'm going to have to do as I research and produce videos, uh, more like Patreon exclusives to like incentivize those higher tiers. So that's going to happen in time. But of course, with this podcast, I'm going to release it at least bi-weekly and you can have early access for with $1 support on Patreon. Uh, otherwise, I'm going to continue on. And with this show, what I will be discussing mainly is the current humanitarian crisis within Gaza um, in the wake of the October 7th attacks from the uh, group Hamas, the Palestinian militant group that is resisting Zionist occupation from Israel. Now, that might be controversial to say out loud, but that is the fact of the matter. And I will be explaining further on my thoughts, at least, and other historical uh, contexts about this situation, this, you may call it a war, you know, there is an ongoing battle in Gaza, but primarily this is a humanitarian crisis and a genocide that's being waged from the Israeli occupation, a final solution, as they will openly admit. Again, you know, I, I might say some uh, radical, controversial comments about Israel's actions in Gaza, but they, they kind of speak for themselves. Like, they, they, they just like, they pretty much just openly say, like, no, we're going to kill everything. We're going to kill everybody. Uh, we're going to push them into the Sinai Desert. That's their plan. That's what they're actively carrying out. They're killing thousands and thousands of civilians. They don't, they don't view 
Palestinians as civilians. Like, they don't. This is a routine propaganda point that they're trying to push, that there are no innocent civilians here. Yeah, man, this is it's sickening that this is happening um, in 2023. In, in a lot of ways, you know, this sort of conflict, this final, this is this feels like the final, like, conflict that either breaks Israel or Gaza. Like, that's, that's what stakes are at play. And this also has um, a broader concern, the broader uh, implications for these, uh, for the region, because they're also, they're bombing Lebanon. Israel is bombing Lebanon. Uh, they're, they're bombing Syria. Like they straight up bomb Damascus regularly now. They've been doing it for years now. They're also, there was like a border skirmish between uh, Egypt, supposedly. I mean, Israel has this fear of them being wiped out so this and again this is and this is a subject matter that i'm also trying to research into about like generational trauma that they, they keep invoking the memory of the holocaust and they keep invoking this idea that we were victims before and we were almost wiped out and we're never going to let that happen again but what they're inadvertently creating by being constantly on guard and like as they like to carry out like these preemptive strikes against supposed enemies they're creating more and more enemies this is i mean when you are living in a militarized society as israel is it's a militarized colonial society everything is a threat any any foreigner is a threat so yeah it's just crazy it's really crazy to see to hear like a lot of these zionist supporters and like they're so quick to invoke like you know, these like allegations of like women being like raped and such. And it's just like Israel does that regularly against Palestinian women. Like Palestinian women are lesser than humans to them. Like, you know, again, there was like another video that came out with these IDF soldiers raiding through uh, this this room. And they found some lingerie because, you know, supposedly Muslim women can't have a sex life. I, I don't know. Now, not to say all Palestinians are Muslim, but yeah, they're just like, oh yeah, I told you they're slutty. Like, you know, it's just like, like, like real, like fetish, fetishization. Like that's the way they view it, which is a staple of like fascist colonial societies, you know, patriarchal societies that they exotify, you know, women, uh, like, you know, say like the Orientalist, right? The, the Arab women are seen as like exotic. But, of course, they're Muslim, so they're still, like, sinful. Like, it's just, yeah. So, yeah, there's just there's just other things at play that are just demonstrating the hypocrisy of the Zionist camp. And, again, I want to be very clear. I, I say this very explicitly when I say Zionism. It, it is the ethno-nationalist ideology. Because, I, again, you know, like, I'm not going to speak poorly on Judaism. I don't believe Zionism represents Judaism. Zionists believe that they're like the only legitimate faith of the Jewish faith, which is not true. There's other different uh, philosophies and, and schools of thought. So it's just, you know, they've draped themselves in their own religion to justify the colonial violence and genocide of other people. And again, if it was any other group, if it were Christians, Catholics, you know, dominating in Latin America, like killing indigenous people saying, oh, no, we're doing this because this is our faith. And like, yeah, it, it would be obviously wrong. Like, this would be bullshit. But again, because many liberals 
are morally and ideologically bankrupt, they can't like bring themselves to criticize this and understand that like, no, like this is a bad ideology because they don't want to be viewed as anti-Semitic. Again, the people who don't understand true anti-Semitism, they have no backbone when it comes to Israel. So they kind of just like, oh, well, I don't want to be anti-Semitic because they don't they don't really understand like the, the true history and ideology at play. Yeah. You know, of course, conservatives, they and again, they don't like Jewish people. This is just Christian Zionism. So, you know, they just justify Israel because they kind of understand that an outright Christian occupation is not the, the right move, at least like um, in terms of like, you know, in terms of like the image, because like they would they wouldn't have any issue sending troops into into that region and just like occupying it. Like many, many Republicans like straight up want to send troops right now. But the more practical Republicans are, you know, they understand that like that's not as practical. It's going to look bad. It's going to cause, you know, regional conflict, like complete escalation. So they allow the Jews to do it. So that way it's more hands off and it sort of fills that prerequisite for the, you know, the the rapture and uh, the the G Jesus coming back revelations. Again, it's all like the like the the, the basis of the conflict because I've made a comment before where I was like, "Oh, it's about religion." It's not completely about religion, but it certainly plays a big part in it. Yeah. So, anyway, so as we expand further on this conflict and, you know, humanitarian crisis, you know, because I don't want to say that it's just a war because a war is supposed to be fought between, like, two, like, independent nations. Like, you know, Ukraine and Russia, that's a war. Even though there is a bit of power indifference, it's still a war. You know, at least Ukraine is, like, a sovereign nation that has somewhat control of their borders, right? But, again, Gaza... Although it's a self-governing territory run by, it's not, it's not all, all Hamas, there's other groups there as well, but Hamas is the major political entity there. But they have no control of the borders, they have no, there's no trade, like everything that goes in is controlled by Israel. They, they, they don't even have control over the water, the power, like nothing, like it's all controlled by Israel. So when you live in conditions like that, that Israel purposefully undermines because they don't want Gaza to be a habitable region. Like they like like again, these Zionists want to make you think that like they don't want to push them out. Like, no, we don't want to push them out. Then then why do you corral them and like block off their food and water like purposefully? Like they try they they've have a whole policy to control the caloric intake. Okay? Like th this is what they do. So Again, man, it's very deliberate. You know, Israel says one thing, but their actions speak louder. And they they have never intended for Gaza to continue to exist as an entity. And this is part of their plan because they don't they, they can't continue these hostilities. Of course, they, they have hostilities with Syria. You know, they regularly bomb their airport. But they can't be in, like, these constant armed conflicts against, like, actual, like, states such as Egypt or Jordan. Uh, they want to normalize relations and basically fit into this new Middle East as um, Netanyahu has stated in the UN like the new Middle East where he he, he envisions Israel being like the leader which is like what like what yeah so they, they've and they've been moving closer before this October 7th attack with normalization 
But now I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think that's the case anymore. I think Israel has completely ruined its reputation. I mean, not just in the Middle East, but the whole world stage. Like, with the Global South, Latin America, even Europe. Although, like, you know, like the UK and other European nations are still, they're very much in support of Israel. But now you're seeing, like, the cracks starting to form where it's like, oh, like, we might have been on the wrong horse. <laughs> so, and of course, the United States is going to unconditionally support Israel. As we saw with this UN vote, like like the UK abstained. Okay, the 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 um the Security Council, the UK abstained, um, but the United States voted against the only nation, the only nation against immediate ceasefire. The, like it's truly like sickening, you know. And, and again, like just the the arrogance and the callousness of it, because. There's just no, like, of course we're not going to have a seat. Like, you know, like, they don't care. They're talking on the one hand about a humanitarian concern, but then they're like, oh, well, we'll establish these safe zones in Egypt or, you know, like, hey, why doesn't Israel establish a safe zone if they're truly concerned about the humanitarian uh, issue at hand? It's like, no, they, 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 they don't want the humanitarian zones in their own country because they view the entire civilian population as combatants. Like, that's... And you're seeing it right now. Like, they told them to move south. They they gave them, initially, a 24-hour notice for, like, over a million people to evacuate into the southern half. Like, they just said, you need to evacuate within 24 hours. <laughs> it's like, what? And again, like, and even with, like, because they, they, they extended the, the, the deadline because they gave them a couple weeks before the actual invasion started. But still, like, the, the, the people were moving south. And now they're bombing the south, and they're even putting troops into the south now. You know, the, the hospitals there, like, like there's people who have, like, have amputated limbs because Israel's bombing them, and then they're suddenly being told to move south. Like, they can't do that. There, there were babies in uh, the incubators. You know, they always talk about the babies in the incubators, right? But then when Israel actually kills, like, dozens, like, you know, all, like, I were, like, all, like, 40 in one hospital, they all died. Another hospital, they they just like they didn't do anything. They they just let the babies die. This is this is what Israel does. They're baby killers. It's just you know, I'm just thinking about because I this last two months I've seen hundreds and hundreds of images of dead children. It's just because you know the the more I see it, it's just I'm not numb to it. It's just devastating and it's just so sad. You know, of course, I can't cry every time I see a dead child, but it's just unbelievable, man. And then, like, I'm seeing dead children, like dozens of images of dead children. And then I go about my daily life and like, I'll go to a grocery store and I'll see a mom with her kid. And it's just like, I, it just, it gets to you, man. It's just like, oh my God. And there's just no, there's no concern. There's no urgency to like, hey, this is wrong. You know, like I was talking with my mother about this the other day and even she and she's very much in support of Israel. But even she was just like, what are they doing? They're just bombing everything like like regular people who who even are in support of Israel can see that this is bad, that this is inhumane. And then of course, they've cut off all food and water. OK, like they have to like bake like bread like they're they're like they're trying to like invent like all different kinds of ways to cook bread 
and you know you see some of these images now like a lot of them now are very much in the um like stages of starvation and malnutrition and they were already like there was like already like 90 percent like undrinkable water like this is just un unbelievable unbelievable and anybody who says that israel has every right to continue this there that's not a human being that's just not i'm sorry man because again when world war ii was happening and you saw the ghettos in, in warsaw and krakow and, and all these other you know eastern european cities where uh jews were rounded up into and, and starved out before being transported to camps like it, there was no mistake that that was inhumane and when they fought back that there was no there was no mistake with the ghetto uprising in warsaw that they were justified in doing so this is what it is it's a it's a warsaw ghetto uprising in modern time you know, we have twitter we can see what's happening in the ground i mean dude like those journalists on the ground say like motaz or plastia um all these other journalists they they truly are like the best of the best like wow like you know when i when i when i initially wanted to do like journalism that's what i envision myself doing like being in the field of course i don't have that same level of bravery but like it's not even about bravery like this is their home like like they have no other option like where are they going to go you know it's just unbelievable that we're following people in real time on social media watching them die like they're they make a tweet and then they fucking die Okay, just recently they had um, the poet Rifat. I hope I said his name right, but yeah, he he, he died. It, it, it's just unbelievable, man. And then you go on TikTok and you go on you go on Snapchat maps. You can go into Tel Aviv and all these other Israeli cities. Everybody's partying. They they got clean water. They they're making jokes about it. They're they're on TikTok. You have Israelis on TikTok flushing their toilets, drinking out of the tap. Just be like. Oh look! Oh, I'm turning the lights on. Haha! <laughs> look, I got clean clothes. I'm I'm eating a full meal. It's a joke to them. They, they, and they want you to believe these propagandists want you to believe that Israel is fighting this existential war of survival. Where we're gonna, it's either us or them. It's like no man. Like you can go back to whatever country your grandparents came from, and you can live a pretty comfortable life. Okay, like you are not a refugee. Okay, you know, like th this idea of coexistence now is not like, I mean, it's still possible, but it's going to take generations of healing that the Israelis are going to have to own up to, which they're not going to do. Okay, it like, like this, yeah, again, you know, I was talking about generational trauma, like the, the, what the Palestinians are experiencing is a level of trauma that will take hundreds of years to heal from like possibly over a millennia because this is nothing like what jews have experienced nothing okay you know because imagine the holocaust but over 80 years of that that's that's what palestinians are living through okay i'm not saying that it, jews haven't of course like jews have experienced historic discrimination pogroms but like this is nothing that's been seen since like World War Two, like you know, not even the Inquisition was this bad. Okay, I mean, dude, like, 
And again, that's the thing. They're, they're making comments about anti-Semitism, but anti-Semitism is primarily like a European phenomenon. If you research about the Middle East and, you know, Arab North African societies, like Judaism was far more um, accepted, not, not fully accepted, not saying that there wasn't discriminations, but like that's where they fled to after all these inquisitions and pogroms in, in Europe. They went to the Middle East and North Africa. It's just, dude. And then you even like consider like the Crusades. Like, what? How, how do you think Jews are treated after the Crusades in Jerusalem versus like, yeah? It, it's just anyway. Uh, it's just uh, unbelievable, unbelievable. Like, if there were any group saying, because again, like they make this ancient right to this land, which is like, you know, if any group were bringing up this like Bronze Age blood right to some region, some patch of land, that would be thrown out the window immediately. But, of course, when a Zionist saying this, because, oh no, because we Jewish people, we're the only people who have ever experienced trauma and, and genocide. Nah, man, like, you know, like I, like, I have West African heritage, okay? I'm Dominican, and I have West African heritage, okay? I don't even know what part of West Africa, okay? That's that's how detached I am from that heritage. But it's there. So if I just went to Nigeria, okay? And again, I don't know the specifics. So it could be Sierra Leone. It could be uh, Ghana. I don't know. It could be anywhere. But I just show up to some random place in Africa, West Africa, and be like, hey, uh, my ancestors used to live here. So I have a birthright to this land. Um, and I have no interest in coexisting with you. So I'm going to just take it over and form my own state with other um, West African descent peoples. And it's like, you don't even have to be like black presenting. Like you just be like, oh, you just take a DNA test. Oh, I'm West African. Show up there. We're, we're a citizen of this new colonial state. I mean, that's what that's what happened in Liberia. The Americans established Liberia to resettle the uh, African-Americans. But of course, like they had been completely detached from their ethnic heritage. So like, when the Americans, the African-Americans showed up in Liberia, they just formed their own slave society. Like, that's what happened. Like, it's just, it, you know, so hang on, I'm just overgeneralizing about Liberia, but it, it's, um, it just goes to show that, like, it, this is all prefer preferential treatment and not particularly because of Judaism. It's purely um, for the convenience and interests of the Western imperialists, okay? So, you know, again, like this was a result of the UK occupying the, they called it the Mandate of Palestine, okay? They occupied this area after World War I, you know, after the collapse of the Ottoman Empire. And, you know, after the 40s and 1947, they created their declarations for the Jewish and Palestinian zones. And then, of course, the Jewish militias uprose and threw that away, declared their independence, and again, there's, there's much history to expand on in this war of independence that Israel claims that they had, where they massacred villages of Palestinians, displaced them in creating this occupation that has been in place for 80 years. I mean, again, man, like, uh, on the October 7th attack, there were people living in Gaza who could, if they got into like a really tall building, can overlook the fence dividing them from Israel 
and see their hometown where their grandparents grew up in. So imagine that. And it's like, it's right there. But there's a fence and like all these snipers and like tanks blocking you. And that's your home. But of course, you got to deal with some Twitch streamer or, you know, say like Destiny. Okay. You know, I mean, he's been, I never want to go on about him. But, you know, you hear people like this and they're all just saying like, well, don't you think if we allow them to go back that you don't think that there's going to be pogroms against um, Israelis and violence against Israelis? And it's like the the Palestinians are experiencing violence daily. They're already experiencing the violence and you're not concerned about that. It's like, what, what do you think started this violence? Do you think Hamas just woke up on October 7th and it's just like, let's just kill as many Jews as we can today. They, they said themselves, like, this is in response to the aggressions against the Alaska Mosque that they have desecrated, that Israeli troops desecrated and assaulted uh, worshippers there. You know, they had their uh, little war in 2021. But this current war that's happening in genocide is, a, is like they, they said themselves that this is in response to the desecration of the Alaska Mosque. And I, I'm just going to be upfront, you know, this um, October 7th attack, it, this is among the most remarkable guerrilla operations in the history of warfare. This is going to be studied for decades, okay? I mean, this is going to be studied at West Point, seriously. Like, you, like again, I, I, who knows what was happening behind the scenes with the intelligence and the military preparation on it, on behalf of Israel. It's I, again, there's so many theories, and again, like we're only like two months out from the attack, so like there's just there's so much that we're gonna have to unpack. But yeah, it completely that that attack completely shatters the invincible myth and and, and sort of image that the Israeli army has because. Like, dude, you know, when I heard about the initial, like, rocket attacks, I'm just like, oh, well, it's just another, you know, barrage, okay? It's just like a random barrage. But then, you know, the reports coming in of the paratroopers, and I'm like, hold up, what? Fucking paratroopers? Like, the, again, like, that is, it, it's like, you, you don't even think about that. It's like, wait, they did what? They just, like, dropped the Hamas fighters? And again, man, like they, they, these fighters, they know that this is a suicide mission. Like this, this to them is like, again, it's jihad, right? This is to them, um, a holy struggle, a war of liberation. So they know they're going to die, but the plan is to get in there and cause as much damage as possible because they knew that they weren't going to hold it, but they just had to break out and cause as much damage and havoc as they could. And, you know. Again, this is not me saying that the deaths of Israeli civilians is a good thing. The deaths of any non-combatant is tragic. But again, when you live in a society that is inherently a militarized colonial society built off apartheid and segregation of a, a group, say the Palestinians, you kind of lose that uh, sort of claim to being an innocent bystander it's like you know like like again like these people were living less than a mile like less than a couple miles from the world's largest concentration camp like like you don't think that's gonna like you, you don't think for a moment that that's like a bit fucked up like 
you know, the 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 people in Sidorot, they would like hang out at the hilltops and watch the the Gaza Strip being bombed. Like that was a form of entertainment for them. Like you and you want me to think that oh well they're just innocent little, they're they're just children. Oh those poor Israelis, you know, laughing at. Uh, Gaza Strip, the world's largest concentration camp, getting bombed, where like over a million children have to survive. Like the average age is like 18 years old. Like, come on, man. Like, this is messed up, what they have to live through in Gaza. And like, this is only a matter of time before they break out. And that's the arrogance of the Israelis. They never thought, they thought they were untouchable. They thought they could get away with whatever they could because they're in there, they're, they're corralled and trapped. And, uh, we can do whatever we want. We control everything. They knew. They understood that they controlled everything, and now they don't have control. And that's why they now want to destroy the whole strip. And they're trying to say, "No, we're doing as much as we can to preserve the humanitarian uh, conditions." That they don't. They they want to wipe out everything. Okay, that's that's what they want to do. That, like it's crazy. Like like what we're seeing right now, even though it's like atrocious and horrible what the israelis are doing there there is a level of restraint because the united states under this you know and i and i say liberal uh progressive in quotations but um you know like biden of course is a staunch supporter of israel like i mean you can look up his older videos he said himself if there was no israel we would have to invent one so he he's a staunch supporter but even with him there's an understanding that there needs to be restraint. There, there needs to be some sort of holding back. It's just, it's crazy. Because, like, if Israel had complete reign and control over the conflict, like, they would be bombing it much worse. Like, and I know that's hard to believe because, like, the whole city is destroyed. But it's like, seriously, man, like, they would do far worse if there was, like, a uh, Republican or, you know, staunchly hawkish conservative president in charge. Just like, have at it. Just, we're going to cover you. Like, they would be doing far worse. It's just, it's unbelievable. Like, and I know that's hard to imagine, but like, seriously, like, this is like, like, Israel is like somewhat restrained because of the current administration, even though they're still fully in support of, like, wiping out Hamas and yeah man it's just i can't i i mean i really can't put into words that this situation could be still be worse than what it already is like like it's just un it's unimaginable it, it really is um but yeah i mean you know that's just at least some thoughts but i mean i wanted to bring up this um a couple articles uh, highlighting this you know october 7th attack at least some a timeline of it and some new reports that have come out of the wake of it because again you know when it uh, first broke out there was a lot of disinformation a lot of propaganda concerning the attacks and as time moves on and as we reflect and investigate more uh, new details arise so again you know this is only a two-month-old war and much and again they keep saying that oh this is going to continue for months and months and jesus christ man like i can't even imagine what this is going to look like if it continues to like June or something like it, it kind of it, it just makes me sick to my stomach just to imagine the death tolls of the civilians and the children and and okay and I mean just like the other day they just released videos of like 
them, the Israeli troops stripping naked practically like hundreds of so-called Hamas fighters, which it just feels like, and this is a thing that happened with like the, say the Vietnam War where they declare like a free fire zone and then anybody who's in there is a legitimate target. Like that's just what it is. They're just declaring a zone uh, to be a free fire zone and then they just round up whoever's there. Doesn't matter. I mean, there was one, uh, you know, sort of uh, like account where they said, oh, look, we arrested uh, a UN worker. So it just confirms that the UN is working with Hamas. And it's like, dude, like you're just arresting all non-combatants, especially male. Like if you're a fighting age male, you're Hamas. Like that's just the, yeah, it's just crazy what they're doing. So there's like, there's restraint because otherwise the next step would just be like just a straight up like rape and massacre of the city. But again, like again, like how, how can you even like possibly get worse from this? Like, that's just like that. That's just something that is stuck with me because the, the fact that this is happening in 2023 with the full backing of the United States, like the whole world is obviously against this. And again, like it's just interesting that I'm watching like Russia and China who uh, before this genocide, they were, you know, like, they weren't necessarily pro-Palestine. They were just like, okay, well, we'll just do who, with business with whoever. You know, they weren't really taking a firm stance on Palestine. But now you hear Russia and China just saying openly, we support a two-state solution. Of course, that's not the solution, but at least they're taking a firm stance because they just want stability. Like, this is just like, this is... Like, 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 this is not good for the region. And this could, like, escalate into a larger conflict. Like, it's crazy to think about, like, a Gaza a conflict breaking out, snowballing into World War III. That's kind of crazy to think about. But that's how uh, deep the implication is. Because Israel is a nuclear-armed state. And they're trying to frame this war as though, like, oh, it, well, Iran is secretly orchestrating it because they want to bomb the shit out of iran so it's just like dude like it's just these dominoes all over the place yeah it's just crazy but i'll um you know continue with these articles at least this one article from abc news just a general timeline of the outbreak of the october 7th attacks and some other articles about uh new developments from that so as i said for the abc news they have a uh, timeline uh, released just like detailing the developments of the October 7th attacks. And as I said, you know, you know, following this in real time as it was happening, it was a quite a trip just to see what was unfolding in the reports coming in and seeing like videos of like the actual paratroopers and of like trucks of Hamas fighters just like running running around the streets. Like, dude, like that was crazy to watch, really. And I won't, and I won't lie. I was honestly like, uh, pumped for that. I was just like, dude, I'm like, it, it's go time. I mean, like when, when you follow this conflict for so long and you see the treatment that you, that, that comes from Palestine, uh, from the actions of Israel, like when, whenever you see a strike back, it's just like, you know, it, it is sort of vindicating because it's just like you. You know, you can only watch an underdog get beaten down for so long until they bite back. But this is truly like, it wasn't just like some random attack. Like this was a truly orchestrated operation. As I've, you know, highlighted again, uh, this is 
again, one of the most remarkable operations in military history that's going to be studied for decades. This was a land, sea, and air attack, like truly coordinated. And the fact that they were able to hide this, yeah, man, it just speaks to the professionalism and the competency of Hamas. Again, you know, they try to frame Hamas as just like, oh, well, they're, they're like sandal-wearing, you know, jihadists. But it's like, no, this is like a competent fighting force. And the fact that Israel does not have respect for them shows how this attack was able to slip under the radar. Again, because the arrogance and the lack of humility, even now, even the wake of this attack, they just, they they've, have no sense of awareness yeah, and even with the current attacks and, and invasion in Gaza and seeing the difference um, in strategies because you know Hamas regularly releases videos of their attacks and the, the combat. And there's this constant theme, especially when they're attacking the armored vehicles from Israel, where the Hamas fighter is like literally like 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 yards away from this tank or armored vehicle and there's not a single israeli soldier protecting it see when you invade and you send armored vehicles into densely urban areas you know where there's like rubble and and tight corridors and streets you have to have a screen of infantry to protect that if you just send in the armored uh vehicles that has like lack of visibility um, honestly, lack of mobility, because like there's only so much room that a tank can move in a bombed-out street. It, it's like it's a sitting duck. It, it's like a sitting duck in a barrel that like the Hamas fighter literally just pokes out with the RPG. And of course, they have these like that they call like the Yasin uh, RPG, the tandem charge uh, ch- uh, rocket heads. It, it's just like like it. Again, like the, the the casualty numbers that are coming out of Gaza from Israel, they are undercounted because there's, I've seen so many videos of tanks and armored vehicles getting hit and burned out, and it's like it's not even close. And again, that's why Israel has to just bomb them because they can't send in infantry. They're they're fucking cowards. Because if you send in infantry and in actual, because like that's what you have to do. You have to actually control the area. Just because you send your vehicles in doesn't mean you have control of the area. So, and, that, and that's going to require like thousands of casualties, like, you know, dead and injured to, to send troops and to control street by street the Gaza Strip. So that's why they're opting for just complete genocide of the population, because that's one way to defeat Hamas. <laughs> just kill everybody. <laughs> it's just, that's, and that's what they want to do. But of course, they, they have to appeal to uh, the progressive you know, so-called liberal progressive West that they're they're bloodthirsty, but you know they can't be as open as they were before. So it's just anyway. So you know, reading on the October seventh attacks and just the actual outbreak of this violence and the operations that were you know taken into account by Hamas, it, it's just remarkable. So reading on this timeline and just like the steps that occurred, this is just a rough. Uh, sort of timeline of the attacks on October 7th. Now, this um, attack in Israel, the first like opening rocket barrages occurred on 6.30 a.m. in Israel, October 7th. So from 6.30 a.m. in Israel, that is at least, yeah, 10.30 a.m. 
local time Texas. So I'm trying to think what I was doing because I probably got off of my DoorDash shift and I was just like fucking around on my computer and then just seeing the news uh, sort of stream in on Twitter and all these different like OSINT accounts. Again, initially you hear about air raid sirens, rocket missiles being launched. It's like, okay, well, this is typical. You know, maybe they're just like launching an attack or they're, they're launching this missile attack. And then if I remember correctly, there was like a Jewish holiday. So I was thinking that's probably tied in with that. But then, of course, more news comes out. So, yeah, as I said here um, from ABC News, um, air raid sirens begin sounding in Jerusalem around 6.30 a.m. local time, warning citizens of the attack in progress and to immediately take cover. An estimated 2,200 rockets were fired towards southern and central Israel, including Tel Aviv and Israel, uh, by the Hamas militants. So, yeah, continuing. Uh, just to read about, again, you know, just shortly after the missile barrage uh, starts, uh, Mohammed Deef, Commander-in-Chief of Hamas's military arm, Al-Qassam Brigades, uh, releases a video statement claiming responsibility for the attack. So, yeah, that is their initial statement. And of course, they are saying that this is the Operation Alaska Flood. That is a retaliation over the desecration of the Alaska Mosque. Uh, you know, attacking worshippers. And again, like, when, when you see videos of the treatment of Palestinians and worshippers at the Alaska Mosque by these police and, you know, armed military guards, it's like, like, how can anybody justify this? Like, they're literally, like, you know, they try to claim, oh, well, you see, I'm, you know, for, you know, coexistence. But then, like, how can there be coexistence if they're literally attacking peaceful worshippers just unprompted, you know, that, that's what they do. This is what Israel does, man. So yeah, so now Israel at war, continuing. Uh, Israeli jet fighters launch retaliatory strikes in Gaza. So they bombed Gaza like straight away, <laughs> like just straight away. Uh, video surfaces of the high-rise building and the Al-Susi mosque in Gaza being bombed and flattened. And of course, Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu tells his country Israel's at war. So uh, continuing, okay, because I thought they were going to have... Because they just did October 7th. But yeah, so they had the missile barrage. And and of course, they had the infiltrations into the local uh, kibbutzim. I think that's what they're called in, in plural form. Uh, the kibbutzim, those uh, collective towns that live like right on the border of this camp. This like this Gaza Strip you know, concentration camp. And of course, like hundreds of people died. And there's also reports that the Israeli forces that uh, responded and to you know, reoccupy the area, uh, they just indiscriminately killed everybody. Like that's, you know, many uh, Israeli survivors are saying that now that they, there were people who died in a crossfire or just straight up bombed. In fact, like the majority of the hostages that, you know, everybody's claiming to bring back or oh, bring back the hostages, like they're dying because Israel just bombs indiscriminately. And in fact, there's the whole alleged um, Hannibal directive that they have to, you know, say that, you know, they would much rather prefer to kill hostages than to have them be captured and be used as like a propaganda tool. Like that's like, this is what Israel does. They claim to have, you know, concern and, you know, for the security and safety of civilians, but if it can benefit them, they'll kill them. Like that's, that's, that's what they are. 
Uh, so yeah, October 8th, at least 30 Israeli police officers are killed in the fighting, fighting mainly in Sidorot, where Hamas gunmen took control of a police station. Uh, Israeli officials announced that fighting is ongoing in six places, including Sidorot, sits just two miles from the border with Gaza. So again, there, there have been two miles, okay? Like, imagine living in a little suburb, because this is what these areas are. They're developed suburbs, and two miles away, there's a fucking concentration camp, okay? And these folks in Sidorot, they know that, and they, they, they take pleasure in watching the population of Gaza get bombed. It's a form of entertainment. So, again, like, I, I have no sympathy for people who live in these uh, sort of places. Like, why would you, like, like why, why should I be expected to feel sympathy for folks who, like, knowingly live next to this uh, tra tragic sort of conditions where, like, th millions of people, two million people are trapped and they knowingly control the food and water but then when those people break out and start killing you, oh my God, <laughs> it's like, oh my God, I'm, I'm the victim here. It's just uh, unbelievable. It's the same mentality as uh, the American settlers whenever like Native Americans would raid their towns and, and their farms. It's like, what do you think you did to them that would cause this attack and cause this retaliation? You're on their land. Like seriously, man, like a lot of these villages and towns, these kibbutzim, they're built on the ruins of Palestinian villages in like mass graves of Palestinians. Like this is, they know this, they hide it. Uh, I mean, I need to rewatch the documentary Tantura, but like they, they were bragging about it with this, um, you know, researcher, this historian, because like, it's sort of like an open secret, like, oh yeah, we killed hundreds of people. And then once it got mainstream attention, then they started attacking uh, this historian because they, they got revealed for the thing that they were bragging about that everybody knows happened like that's crazy man like that's the israeli society is just it's really sick i'm sorry there, there's a sickness in there um but yeah and then also they're they're showing again like there there was another instance where there was rave there was a music festival again within a couple miles from this prison camp in gaza like they're just having a rave and just like like just just dancing, and then of course the Hamas fighters uh, landed in this music festival, and they massacred the partygoers. Which again, I'm not saying that's a good thing. Again, I don't I don't like anybody dying, but again, if we were living, you know, back in World War II, and then like a bunch of German teenagers had a rave or some sort of music festival outside of Auschwitz, do do you really think that I'm gonna be like? sympathetic to that especially if like the Auschwitz survivors and like the camp prisoners break out and, and kill like do you, do you want me to like oh no those poor German teenagers who were like partying and raving in front of Auschwitz they're, they're just they're they're the real victims here I'm just like no I, I just you know it's just like don't don't I, I just I can't I can't with it it's like again like I I don't like violence, but if you inflict violence against people, then don't be surprised when they fight back. It's just the, the fact of humanity. Like, you can't do this to folks. Anyway, so yeah, so of course they have this opening, these opening days of conflict and, you know, massacres that are occurring. 
But yeah, let me look a little further because that's sort of like the opening, you know, October 7th, October 8th, where there was just that chaos. But let me see here. Okay, just a little further. So yeah, those are the opening weeks. And of course, I wanted to highlight about uh, this new phase where the actual ground offensive invasion uh, unfolds. So here, Prime Minister Netanyahu announces that Hamas, that the war on Hamas has entered a new phase, including increased aerial attacks and broader sustained ground operations. So here they talk about the uh, November 1st Jabilia refugee camp, which is just another camp that was bombed. And again, like uh, they, I mean, they bombed the Al, um, the Al Ahli uh, hospital. And then they try to pretend that, oh, no, you see, it was a misfired uh, Hamas rocket. But, like, no misfired Hamas rocket, not even, like, a properly, like, launched rocket has killed, like, hundreds of people. Like, they released a video from Tel Aviv of a missile, like, like that was, um, I guess, intercepted by a uh, Iron Dome interceptor. And so part of that debris landed like it was almost like a Looney Tunes like cartoon. Like it was just like a piece of debris. It hit the tree, so that sort of broke the fall, and then it landed a couple of feet in front of this Israeli that was just like minding their business shopping. Again, like they're just like Israel is just like going about their day, like just shopping for Prada, or whatever fucking luxury attire, and then just like a little piece of a rocket just like happens to land in front of them, and they're traumatized. Oh my god! Oh my god! Like, it's just like, it's not even close. Because, like, the Al-Ahli uh, bombing killed hundreds of people. Like, just completely eviscerated them. And, and they're trying to play that off as, like, oh, it was a piece of a rocket and, and that misfire. Like, dude, it's just, like, the propaganda is crazy. But then you see reports. I mean, that's what they sort of did at the beginning. But now that people's, like, attentions are elsewhere... They're just straight up like, yeah, no, we bombed that refugee camp. Like, yeah, so yeah, Jabilia, refugee camp, the most populous refugee camp in the region, is hit by a second airstrike. So they 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 double strike these these refugee camps. They've double striked the hospitals. They're targeting ambulances. Like they know this. They know this. It's just unbelievable. Yeah, the Israeli defense forces confirmed that on November first, quote. Based on precise intelligence, IDF fighter jets struck a Hamas command and control complex in Jabilia, end quote, and that Hamas fighters were killed in the strike. And then, of course, whoops, like, they, they always try to present civilian casualties as like, well, this is just a fact of war, even though they openly say that there's no Israel, uh, Palestinian uh, civilians and non-combatants. So it's like, on the one hand, they're saying it's unfortunate, but really, there's no um, Palestinian non-combatants, they're all the same. It's just crazy, crazy. And I'm going to continue further here. The IDF says, quote, Hamas deliberately builds its terror infrastructure under and around within uh, civilian buildings, inten intentionally endangering Gazan civilians. The IDF says, uh, quote, the IDF has been urging Gazans in the neighborhood to evacuate as part of its efforts to mitigate harm to civilians. The IDF continues to call on all residents of northern Gaza and Gaza City to evacuate southwards to a safer area. It's like they tell them, oh, we're going to bomb this area. Please evacuate. And then they bomb them as they're evacuating. And then when they reach the evacuation zone, they bomb that evacuation zone. That's what Israel does. Okay. They told them to go south. And now they're invading and bombing the south. It's just unbelievable. Unbelievable.
Uh, let's see here a little further because they're talking about now the pauses and they're trying to you know mitigate casualties. So here, just reading November 10th, uh, the fighting around Al Shifa Hospital in Gaza intensifies, and a strike hits the courtyard outside the hospital. The hospital loses powers and seeks to, ceases to function. Uh, November 14th, the IDF announces the temporary opening of evacuation corridors in war-torn Gaza Strip to allow more people in the north of the Hamas-run enclave to move south. A safe passage will be open for humanitarian pauses. So they say like four-hour pauses, but again, like this is all bullshit. Yeah, via the Salah al-Din Highway uh, toward the area south of Wadi Gaza between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. local time, according to the IEF. So again, let's see here as well, November 15th. Uh, the IDF says its ground troops are continuing to carry out a precise and targeted operation against Hamas in a specified area of the largest hospital in the Gaza Strip. Again, they said, oh, well, they went into like the MRI, the MRI complex and like, see, this is where all the, the guns and you know weapons were. And it's like, well, this is the MRI. Like, why would they leave all the weapons next to a giant magnet? Like, this is fucking unreal. Unreal. And again, like th these hospitals, like the ICU... The, the babies in incubators like they died like they 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 it's just like unreal like you know if there was actual concern for the civilian populations the humanitarian conditions like they would have had their own medical personnel immediately enter the area and take over operations to take care of the palestinians but they haven't done that they just let them die let me read a little further November 16th, Israeli ground troops continued to carry out a raid on the Al-Shifa hospital for a second day. A spokesperson for the IDF tells ABC News that, as of 1 p.m. local time, soldiers were still inside the hospital. Some 34 hours after launching the raid, uh, the body of Yehudit Weiz, a 65-year-old woman who was abducted by Hamas on October 7th, was found at a structure adjacent to Al-Shifa hospital. Let's see here, just continuing further... November 20th, uh, more than two dozen premature low birth weight babies have been evacuated from Gaza to Egypt to receive specialized care. A joint mission between the United Nations and the Palestine uh, Red Crescent Society, led by the World Health Organization, evacuated 31 babies from the embattled Al-Shifa Hospital in northern Gaza to Al-Halal Al-Emirati Maternity Hospital in southern Gaza over the weekend. So there has been at least some coordination, but again, this, this isn't the case for Everybody, you know, especially the most vulnerable. Again, you know, the the children that have been born here, like there's been babies that were born and died in the span of this war. Like imagine that a whole lifetime spent in literally the worst conditions on the planet right now, the the worst, most atrocious, violent conditions. That's your whole life for. Like, I read one baby live for 17 days. It's just unbelievable, man. Because I'm getting that age now where, you know, uh, you know, I start to think as a parent. I'm not a parent, but, you know, I'm going to be in my 30s soon. And, and you know, I'm, I'm, I'm paternalistic even with, like, other people's children. Because it's just like, who, who, how can you not? You know, it's like, it's, you know, it's, it's, you know, something that's in you. But, yeah, man, it's just like, it can't, it's just crazy to me just to see children, like, dying like this man violently too it's unbelievable but then you see other videos where like the kids are in the the, the evacuation shelters 
and somehow they're still keeping spirits up because they're kids. Like they're that innocence still comes out of them. And you know, one one kid or like multiple kids I saw, like they have nothing but the clothes on their backs and like like literally like they're like, Oh no, I have to save my cat. Like they, they have their pet cats because that's like everything for them, you know? And I just wow. Again, you know, there's so much bravery and humanity out of every Palestinian that's living that's living there. And like I see nothing but cowardice and arrogance and just bigotry and hatred from the Israelis. They're, they're, they're cowards. They're, they're cowards. I just, there's nothing brave about what they're doing here. Because like this, none of this would have happened if Israel didn't occupy and treat them as lesser than dogs. Okay. Like they're not even like they call them, they're, they're like below that. They're not even like animals. They're just like, they're, they're, they call them like, oh, this is between good and evil. Okay. This is like, they're like dark, you know, Oh, they're like this dark lord, orcs, right? Like that's that's the way Israelis view Palestinians. Every Palestinian, okay? Like all these Zionists who that were raised and you know eventually like broke free from that hatred. So now that they're you know they're no longer Zionists, they're they're now um, anti-Zionist Israelis. They'll tell you they said straight up like, yeah, I thought they were all gonna kill me and rape me and all these things, and then. All I had to do was have some basic human empathy and see from their perspective. Like, you know, there was one, um, like I read one, um, like, account uh, from Zionist, anti-Zionist, you know, reformed Israeli. And he was just like, yeah, no, I just went through the checkpoints just to see what their lives were like. And that one experience alone broke, like, all this programming because... Like, it's unacceptable, like, how anybody can live like that. And, like, he's, like, like I felt, like, like again, like, that short experience, like, pretty much, like, just, like, an afternoon going through checkpoints. And I think he said, like, he sort of, like, deliberately, like, didn't present himself as Israeli just to see what would happen. Because he did look, again, like, a lot of these Palestinians and the Israelis, like, they look very similar. So it's, like, you know, and, again, like, actually, like, a lot of Israelis have been killed because of friendly fire because they were perceived as Palestinians. So like his experience sort of presenting himself as a Palestinian, like that just broke everything. Cause it's just like, Oh my God, like that one experience, like an afternoon of checkpoints, he was just thinking like, like that pissed him off. And then like a whole lifetime of that, he's like, dude, of course I would fucking fight. Like it just, it was a no brainer to them, you know? So yeah, just continuing here. Okay. And then of course they had the eventual, hostage exchange sort of around like thanksgiving time so it's sort of crazy to think about the the links to which israel and palestine have or i should say hamas because this is israel and hamas like the, the the way that i interpret that sort of like pause that they had the truce to have the prisoner exchange the way i can interpret that is that Israel is facing uh, hardships and struggles with the ground operations because if they had complete confidence and control over the situation, they would have never negotiated with Hamas and they would have never agreed to a pause for prisoner exchange because if they wanted a prisoner exchange early on, then they would have done it within the first days and the first weeks of it. But now that they're actually in Gaza, um, because they said, we're going to wipe out Hamas, 
and they actually have to do that now. <laughs> and it, that's not as easy as they thought. Now they're open to negotiations and prisoner exchanges and such because they released, I mean, Hamas released 50 hostages and in return, Israel released 150 Palestinian prisoners. Many of them included like teenagers and like, <laughs> like, huh, crazy. I wonder why Israel has like hundreds of like women and teenagers as prisoners and like, like, <laughs> it's like crazy. What? Like they just hold people with no, no, no charge. It's unbelievable. And, and like, it's just like the, the treatment and like, you see like the Israeli prisoners being released and like, they're all very comfortable. They all look very healthy. Like, you know, maybe they're a little skinnier, but of course, like they're in Gaza, like food is just not available. <laughs> so like, but otherwise, like they have high spirits. I mean, like one prisoner literally bought her fucking dog, like this like bug eyed, like Shih Tzu, like. <laughs> like they the and the dog is healthy and happy. It's like, dude, are you kidding me right now? Like I'm not saying that like being a hostage and a prisoner to um a militant group isn't a pleasant experience. Yeah, sure, but like it, it's like you, you see how they're being released and you see how like well dressed they are. Uh they're not dirty. They're, they're, everybody look pretty clean. And literally everybody's like, oh, shukran, oh, thank you so much. Like, they're literally like, bro, like, one guy was just like, he dabbed him up. Like, one, like he dabbed up straight up the Hamas fighter. And I'm just like, oh, my God, dude. Like, unbelievable. Like, all of them were saying, like, yeah, we were treated pretty good. And, well, we got fed pretty well. Um, but then you see the releases of the Palestinian prisoners from Israel. And you can see the fear in their eyes when they look at the Israelis and they're just like, get me the fuck out of here. Like, am I good? Am I free? And many of them have been saying like, oh, yeah, they beat me like hours before release. Like one one guy literally had broken both his hands because Israel tortured him. And then they told him, oh, if you celebrate too much, we're going to you know kill you or something like it, it's just like it's night and day. It's night and day, you know. Um, I mean, shit, man, like. <laughs> It's just like, even like um, what's happening, at least not being reported because like the treatment was just so obvious that like they're saying, well, no, they were drugged actually. And, you know, again, like it's just like they have to cope and like frame something new because it's so clear from, I guess, public image perspective that Israel does not have a uh, good treatment of Palestinians. And, you know, they're trying to trying to operate off this assumption that like the world still hates Arabs and many Americans still do hate Arabs, but this new generation, the younger people, especially with these IDF TikToks, they're not as bigoted. And we know now what, you know, this bigotry and um, sort of mistreatment looks like. So like, we don't, we don't accept that. Like, you know, when you listen to, Palestinian influencers talking about the freedom for their people. They're not like spending hours and hours talking about how much they hate Israel and Judaism. They're just saying, I just want freedom. Like, that's it. Like, I just want to not see my family get massacred. Well, I'm, I'm not saying that most of them aren't saying critical things of Israel. And Israel has every right to be criticized. But it's not from a place of hatred. That's what I'm saying. They just want freedom. They just want to live in peace. Okay? 
Israel has no interest for peace because it goes against their whole militarized colonial system. They have no interest for it. They, they don't want to coexist with Palestinians. Because, and you hear a lot of them, a lot of these influencers and, and sort of talking heads and streamers, they're talking about, well, you see, if the Palestinians were allowed back into the territories and back to their homes, there would be a demographic crisis. There would be like, huh, crazy. Isn't that interesting? Uh, apartheid society, when it's forced to uh, integrate their segregated society, it falls apart. That's that's kind of the plan. Hopefully, yeah. This idea that uh, they're they're operating off of the idea that certain groups are meant to be in charge of certain states, like they're they're like you know there's they're supposed to be like a racial hierarchy or caste system. That's the way they view nation states, and that's that's that is such a self-report. Whenever I hear uh, folks say this. Well, no, because you don't think there's supposed to be a Jewish homeland. It's like, bro, I don't think any one group has a right to own a country. That's the problem, okay? Because they they look at places like the United States and they say they and even though we're supposed to be a desegregated uh, multinational society, they still view white people as being in charge. That's why they talk about like all this wokeness and oh no, you see we can't have wokeness and. Uh, you know, replacement theory, and you know, yeah, that's that's the operation that they they uh, they go off of. Of course, they can't just be upfront about that. But with Israel, it's still acceptable to claim to want to have a Jewish majority to be in control because it's supposed to be a Jewish ethno state, which is fundamentally wrong, uh, fundamentally not good. Anyway, um, but yeah, I just wanted to at least. Um, continue further with another article here and you know i was just giving like a rough timeline of the couple of weeks from the october 7th attacks but there is also being uh reported and investigated uh certain market moves because they try to act as though this was a random attack you know that we just couldn't detect which i have a hard time believing you know like israel wants to claim that their intelligence is so good that every time they bomb a building it's because there's a legitimate Hamas target there, but they didn't have the intelligence to detect this attack that was uh, being built. Yeah, it, there's just there's something stinky going on. So either the Mossad isn't what it, what it used to be, and they just genuinely didn't detect this attack, or they knew something was happening and they turned a blind eye because it served um, it served them politically. And you know, of course, uh, Netanyahu has been dealing with internal divisions with his judicial reforms and uh, being investigated for corruption so he has to sort of create a crisis like this to create a military emergency that gives him powers that he can exploit again like this is this is what a fascist society does they they create this emergency and crisis where the leader this demagogue says i have to be in control or you're gonna collapse without me. Like that's sort of like this is this is this war that uh, is being pushed is to save Netanyahu, and he is bringing uh, this calamity to thousands of people, uh, to Palestinians. There, there are the pawns being used and killed to serve his political ends. He's sending in 
Israeli troops into the meat grinder of Gaza. You know, if this is, I mean, like the, the morale situation that I'm reading on is like atrocious. Like they, they can't, like that's why they have to like do all these like, because like they're, they, they do techno and all this like weird shit and parties where they have to like get spirits up. And then you hear like the singer being like, oh yeah, you fucking whore Gaza, we're going to rape you or some shit. Like that's what they say. Like, like they have to like bring out this like hatred. That's the only way they can stir up morale. They have to like dig into this bigotry and hatred because otherwise it's like, what, what else are we doing this for? If not to wipe out Gaza, like that's, <laughs> you know, yeah, man, it's sick. It's just all sick. But anyway, so reading at least from this CNN business article about market moves and anticipating the October 7th attack. And this is something that will be certainly expanded on as it's further investigated, just pointing to that. People knew that something was happening. You know, they, they keep saying that this is a, a surprise attack. And, of course, as I said, this is a remarkable operation from Hamas. But still, you know, the fact that they say, well, we didn't know it was coming, like, that is suspect. This market moves. It tells everything. You know, like, this is, um, yeah, this is something that should be uh, expanded on later on. So, here I'll read from CNN. Uh, here... And this is from New York. Bets against the value of Israeli companies spiked in the days before the October 7th Hamas attacks, suggesting some traders may have had advanced knowledge of a looming terror attack and profited off it, according to new research released Monday. The preliminary research, which hasn't been peer-reviewed, is from law professors at Columbia University and New York University and details a significant and unusual spike five days before the attacks and short-selling in the most popular fund link uh, to Israeli companies. Short selling is a way to bet against the value of a security. Those bets against the value of the MSCI Israel Exchange Trade Fund ETF uh, in the days before the October 7th attack far exceeded the short selling activity that took place during the COVID-19 pandemic, the 2014 Gaza war and the 2008 global financial crisis, the paper says. Quote, our findings suggest that traders informed about the coming attacks profited off of these tragic events, end quote, the, road, the authors wrote. So so what they're saying, at least, is that they were betting that there was an attack that would cause an economic uh, turmoil. Yeah, man. I mean, like, you, you follow the money, man. Like, there's all these things that you could you could say in advance, like, oh, this might have happened, this and that. But if people were making bets like this and they're saying that this far exceeded they, this far exceeded COVID, the 2014 war, the, the 2008 global crisis, like this, like people knew, people knew what was happening. You know, it's like when, it's like when a congressman like sells their stocks, like it's like, it's a sign of something to come like this. So people knew what was happening. That's crazy. Continuing, uh, Jonathan Macy, a professor at Yale Law School, told CNN the paper is quote, shocking. Quote, the evidence that informed traders profited by anticipating the terror attacks of October 11th is strong. He said, quote, regulators appear to lack the ability to discover the entities responsible for this trading, which is unfortunate. At least 1,200 people were killed in Israel on October 7th when more than 1,500 Hamas fighters attacked Israel. Others are still held hostage by Hamas. Uh, The paper titled Trading on Terror was written by former SEC Commissioner Robert Jackson Jr., who is currently a professor at NYU and Columbia Law Professor Joshua Mitz. 
The research found that on October 2nd, just five days before the Hamas attacks, quote, nearly 100% of the off-exchange trading volumes in the MSCI, Israel ETF, consisted of short selling. Uh, quote, days before the attack, traders appeared to anticipate the events to come, the professors wrote. Yeah, so that is crazy. Crazy to think about uh, that there were movements being made, market movements, like, you know, sort of like the big short, right? They're betting that there's going to be a financial crisis in 2008. So people were betting that there was going to be an attack before the actual attack occurred. So who, and they get make they said they can't find who did this, who, who was making these moves. That's just crazy, man. That's just crazy. I mean, who knows? Because it could be um, Israelis uh, who have intelligence of an upcoming attack, or it could be uh, Hamas affiliates, you know, financiers, you know, so that's, you know, it could go both ways. But again, they're, they're saying that this far exceeded uh, the prior conflicts and prior, you know, COVID and other uh, instabilities that may have caused a cut in value for Israel, as they say, you know, Israel companies and securities. It's just crazy. Like you said, you know, like I said, like you just follow the money and you don't know where you're going to go. Well, that's a quote from The Wire, but it, it, it certainly applies to real life. And this is just a crazy uh, course of events and uh, conspiracies. I mean, again, this like because they Israel tries to claim, oh, this is our 9-11 in terms of like death tolls, like like <laughs> Joe Biden is just like it's like 15 9-11s like. <laughs> Like, they have to, like, scale it. But just like with 9-11, okay, they have to use these attacks now uh, to justify the massacre of thousands, possibly over a million uh, Palestinians. Well, there's two million in, in Gaza, and Israel has no problem killing every last one of them. Yeah. And and just like with 9-11, there's possibilities of inside um, attacks, inside uh, false flag operations. I mean, dude, like this, this is just the times that we're living in. Like, it's just crazy to think about, you know, <laughs> like all, all the things that are happening that we see play out, but then what's happening behind closed doors, we're just never going to know. Like it, it's truly uh, disturbing. So here, uh, just continuing. And this is sort of, this is pertaining to the death toll numbers of the Israel uh, attack, the October 7th attacks, because initially they reported 1,400 casualties, and now they're revising it to 1,200. Yeah, this is just, you know, of course I don't want to play a number game as to who was killed and, and casualties, because Israelis did die. They were killed, you know, they, they try to make the most like outlandish, like most barbaric sort of uh, propaganda about the, the the executions and deaths of Israelis, which really is more like the, it really just uh, speaks to like the propaganda and the imagery that they want to portray. Like, oh, all these white people were being massacred and raped from these barbaric, you know, Arab Muslims. You know, like that's sort of what they were trying to portray. I mean, the president of the United States lied. He, he said that he saw images of beheaded babies, and then he had to re retract that with a little memo saying, oh, he didn't actually see that. But it's like, you know, when, you, when you're when you a world figure, when you're the fucking president of the United States, and you say something, like, that is a rec that is historical record. And, you know, 
like that's what people see now again like i haven't been as open because i'm open so on social media and i'm open with this pop uh, podcast but you know it's one thing at least in private with like certain family and friends to to speak like this because they're they're just already bought into the propaganda that hamas needs to be wiped out this and that um and you know they, they try to portray like oh well you see because they raped and they massacred people and this and that and like not even the idf have been saying this like idf has been saying um this is irresponsible like they're you know babies weren't killed as brutally as was being depicted and uh, being portrayed they're even saying about like the sexual abuse like even the idf is like this is irresponsible again this is not to say that there wasn't a sexual uh violence by a hamas like an individual hamas militant but to claim that like there was mass rapes they were killing everybody it's like that's not what happened anyway and many of the ho the hostages have said themselves that they were treated humanely so like if the hostages are saying that they were treated humanely like i'm gonna take their word for that <laughs> so survivors themselves they were saying they were more worried about the israeli response just killing and bombing everybody rather than the actual hamas attack so yeah that's just that just speaks to like the situation on the ground but again we're never going to know like we're never going to know the true atrocities that were committed like it's just there's all this sort of propaganda going around so yeah uh just reading at least from npr and israel revising their death tolls from the october 7th attacks here's what they're saying uh, here uh israel uh, Tel Aviv, Israel. Um, in a text message to journalists on Friday, a spokesperson from Israel's foreign ministry said around 1,200 is now what he called the official number of people killed by Hamas militants on October 7th. That's about 200 fewer victims than Israel had been citing for more than a month. Quote, this is not a final number. It is an updated estimate. Lior Hayat, spokesperson for the Israel Ministry of Foreign Affairs, wrote. He added that the toll might still change again. And I, and I would imagine it would go lower. Israeli media quoted unnamed official as saying some remains were initially misidentified. Uh, many of the bodies were burnt and mutilated that day, and the process of identifying them is on their way. Uh, the number of hostages being held in Gaza remains at 240. Of course, this article was written on November 11th, so that's, I guess, lower than 50. So, yeah, um, the October 7th attacks and the uh, large number of casualties prompted Israel to launch Air and ground strikes on Gaza, where Palestinian health officials say more than 11,000 people have been killed. Now that's closer to 20,000. So that is at least the revised uh, death toll numbers. Now I want to see something real quick. As I believe the Israel uh, newspaper Haaretz released a, a death toll number. And they released it by age. So let me see if they still have that up. Okay, so just reading at least, um, and I'm reading from the Times of Israel. So this is at least, uh, this was released December 4th. So this is a relatively recent article. They say here, this is the article. So 14 kids under 10, 25 people over 80. Up-to-date breakdown of October 7th at victims we know about. So here, uh, just reading from the Times of Israel, uh, almost two months after the unprecedented Hamas onslaught on southern Israel, which left more than which left some 1,200 people dead, the exact data on those killed in the biggest terror attack in Israeli history is still shrouded in uncertainty. There have been efforts to compile the available data, 
particularly the number of babies, children, and elderly people murdered on October 7th, even as several members of emergency organizations have been quoted giving imprecise information. Authorities have identified a total of 274 soldiers, 859 non-soldiers killed during the brutal assault. The latter figure includes 57 Israeli uh, police officers and 38 local security officers. It is unclear which of these individuals were on duty when killed. Removing those victims leaves a figure of 764 civilians. So, at least, so they say, oh, 1,200 killed and just over half of them civilians. So, you know, again, that's it's not great what happened. But again, you know, like a large number of them were actual like combatants. So here, uh, reading from just other Hebrew sources, so partial data by Hebrew media covering the civilians killed by thousands of invading terrorists and by some of the thousands of rockets fired that day at Israeli cities revealed that they uh, include two infants, 12 other children under the age of 10, uh, 36 civilians aged 10 to 19, and 25 elderly people. So, yeah, 25 elderly people over the age of 80. So, 75 out of the 764 civilians. So, again, they tried to act as though they killed, like, they killed, like, oh, they killed, like, hundreds of children. And, and again, I'm not saying that these children being killed is a good thing. It's not. It's tragic. Uh, that's just the, the fact of combat that there's going to be crossfire. I mean, who knows the, the details of their deaths. But again, they're saying here, 75 out of 764 civilians. Again, it's still bad. And again, they also have, I mean, that figure also includes like 260 killed at the music festival. So, so 75, 260, and that's still like barely like 500 civilians. And, and many of these civilians are armed as well. That's the thing too. Like Israel's an armed society. So like many of them would have been probably been firing back. At, yeah, it's it's all bad, but the the image and the propaganda that they're trying to portray is that well they they killed and massacred hundreds of people, and they I mean they did, but it's just uh, th this is what happens when you live in a military militarized settler colonial society that you are now a target because you implicitly participate, especially as I said the residents of Sidorot who regularly mock and view the bombings of Gaza as a form of entertainment. Uh, eventually they're going to fight back and like you like I wouldn't live next to a concentration camp. You kidding me, man? You only live there knowing full well that you have complete control, that you're untouchable and that you you have this feeling of superiority. That that's that's what happens. So yeah, man. Again, you know, it, it's like you know, sure, yeah, like People, civilians dying is a bad thing, but when, again, when you live within a stone's throw of the world's largest concentration camp, knowing full well what happens, knowing full well that you have, that you you're untouchable, and that you have complete control, and yeah, it's just like after that point, like I I don't have no sympathy. It's just like how how can you expect me to feel uh, sad? It's just like I can't. Like again, man, it's crazy. It's crazy. You can't lock people into a cage and then not expect some sort of attack and retaliation. You know, if you if you cage a dog and like underfeed it and beat it all the time, like hose it with cold water, its whole life, that's all it knows. And then one day it breaks out and like chews your leg off 
It's like, what the fuck? Like, you, you treated the... You, like, that's all you showed it to to the dog. Not to, not to compare Palestinians to dogs, but it's like, like, that's... When you treat people a certain way their whole lives for decades, and they know nothing but violence that you have inflicted upon them, eventually you're going to experience violence yourself. So, that is just the sad reality of that. So, yeah. So, just reading here a little bit further. So, I was talking at least about the October 7th attacks and certain details being released and casualty figures. Again, you know, I, I know I speak critically on Israel. I just want to make it clear that, you know, anybody being killed, because again, I saw some videos of the music festivals and the, the massacres of the young people, you know, people my age. It, it's sad. Like, I was saddened by it. But it's just like, the, the whole situation is sad. It's sad that the people in Gaza are stuck in this situation where they feel that they have to resort to this atrocity and violence. Like, that's that's what's sad. So we have to get, if we're going to talk about this conflict and who's re, who's responsible and, and, and you know, the, the tragedy of the situation, we, we have to go back to the source and who drew the first blood. In 1940, 1947, 48, it was Israel and the Zionist militias that displaced and attacked the Palestinians. That's where it started. Again, this isn't like a complicated, like, you know, millennia-old blood feud, like, say, like, in the Balkans or something, where even then it's still, like, just, like, bigotry and ethno-nationalist hatred. Like, this, we have a very clear point where this violence started, what this conflict, um, where, where it started, who started it. Like, we know exactly what happened. So it's not a mystery. Again, the people who did these things, who massacred entire villages in Palestine, they're still alive, okay? Like, they had one of the, um, they had this like 95-year-old who like he he went he he signed up with the reservists, you know, there's like a propaganda point. This 95-year-old, oh, he's going back into the forces. And and then it came out that he was part of um the Lehi uh, sort of militias who were like ultra ultra extremist fascist group, right-wing group that even like, you know, hardline Zionists were like this is too much. Like they they straight up like reached out to the Germans in World War II because they were so like, they were, they were so anti-British that they wanted to conspire with the Germans. Like that's that's what we're talking about here. And then like, you know, he they have him touring the uh, the Israeli troops, trying to bring up spirits. And he's just like this old geezer, this like ninety-five year old like corpse. It's just like, oh, we have to kill everything. We have to kill everybody. Like that's like that's what it is. Like it's like Henry Kissinger. It's just like, oh yeah. By the way, Henry Kissinger is dead. I forgot to bring that up. I'll, I'll talk about that later, but, you know, it's like when they brought out Henry Kissinger for those interviews and he's just like, it was a mistake to open the borders. Uh, like, it's just like there's no humanity. It's just like this fucking orc. Like, ugh, I don't know. You know, again, I don't I don't because I, I respect old people. I love old people. But when you see somebody like that who has no humanity at that stage of their life. And presumably, presumably they're they're surrounded by loved ones living comfortably their last days, who has undoubtedly killed like possibly hundreds of people, like massacred, raped, and pillaged like villages. It's like man, like dude, <laughs> like it's just crazy, crazy. So anyway, um, so reading on further, 
some other details, at least, you know, recent details now, because I've been covering, like, the last weeks and months that have developed. Um, there was a recent security council vote that was held on, yeah, December 8th. They voted to, that you know, the okay, so the Secretary General, he uh, issued Article 99 and forced a security council vote to have a ceasefire. And as I'm reading from the AP News, only the United States vetoed. And of course, with the Security Council, uh, there needs to be unanimous support from the permanent members, which includes the United States, the United Kingdom, uh, I believe Russia, China, I think France. Let me see actually again. So UN Security Council. Let me see again. Who are the permanent members? Yeah, that's I was right the first time. But yeah, that was funny. I remember that um, there was a... I think it was a BBC report where they did like, oh, the UNSC, and then they put the UNSC from Halo. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, um, so reading from the AP News about this UN uh, vote, Security Council vote for a ceasefire where the United States vetoed. Yeah, it's just atrocious. I mean, this is just like, you know, and I, I was saying earlier, you know, the United States on the one hand is trying to, you know, restrain Israel, but on the same hand... United States fully supports Israel and their endeavors, and of course, is just like the cognitive dissonance that needs to be, you know, observed. Because like you have Biden and Kamala Harris who are trying to appeal to younger voters, who are trying to appeal to a progressive, diverse uh, voter base, but this is going to break it. Like th like this war. Is going to break their support. I'm sure as hell not voting for them. I'm not. And I'm going to make sure, at least with this general election, I'm going to check with every local candidate, every state candidate, and I'm going to ask them point blank their stance on Israel. And if there isn't any concern for the humanitarian uh, conditions, if there's a complete, oh, no, you see, because Israel has a right to defend themselves, nope, you lost my vote. That's, that's my single issue this election, and I don't care. So, yeah. But yeah, this um, this is going to stand as the legacy of Joe Biden. I mean, of course, his legacy is like, it's like a wet sock. You know, it's like we lost Roe v. Wade, we lost affirmative action, we, like all all these like states are getting um, more like, like pushing like anti-trans, uh, anti-LGBTQ legislations. Like every, like everything is turning more right wing. We're in the worst economic crisis since the Great Depression. You know, cost of living crisis, student debt crisis, you know, credit card balances through the roof, like everybody's struggling. Like this is the legacy of Joe Biden. And then to put the cherry on top, the the Palestinian genocide. I think that that this has just broken them. That they're gonna lose. I'm not voting them. I didn't vote for them the first time, and I'm not voting them again. So yeah, that's um at least there. So here with this Security Council vote with the United States uh, vetoed. Uh, just reading from the AP News, their uh, report on this. So, the United Nations, the, the United States vetoed a United Nations resolu resolution Friday, backed by all other Security Council members and dozens of other nations, demanding an immediate humanitarian ceasefire in Gaza. Supporters called it a terrible day and warned of more civilian deaths and destruction as the war goes into its third month. The vote in the 15-member council was 13 to 1, with the UK abstaining. Uh, the United States isolated 
stand reflected a growing fracture between Washington and some of its closest allies over Israel's months-long bombardment of Gaza. France and Japan were among those supporting the call for a ceasefire. In a vain effort to press the Biden administration to drop its opposition to calling for a halt to the fighting, the foreign ministers of Egypt, Jordan, the Palestinian Authority, Qatar, Saudi Arabia, and Turkey were all in Washington on Friday, but their meeting with Secretary of State Anthony Blinken took place only after the UN vote. Uh, along with the vote, the Arab diplomats' mission served to shift responsibility more squarely onto the United States for protecting Israel from growing demands to stop the airstrikes that are killing thousands of Palestinian civilians. Uh, quote, what is the message we are sending to Palestinians if we cannot unite behind a call to halt the relentless bombardment of Gaza? United Arab Emirates Deputy Ambassador Mohammed Abu Shaha asked after the vote, quote, Indeed, what is the message we are sending civilians across the world who may find themselves in similar situations? End quote. Uh, U.S. Deputy Ambassador Robert Wood called the resolution in balance and criticized the council after the vote for its failure to condemn Hamas' October 7th attack on Israel, in which the militants killed over 1,200 people, mostly civilians, or to acknowledge Israel's right to defend itself. He declared that halting military action would allow Hamas to continue to rule Gaza and, quote, only plants the seeds for the next war, which is fucking hilarious, because, like, I wonder uh, what, I wonder who is sowing those seeds, because apparently Hamas is the one who is responsible for all these civilian deaths when it's Israel bombing indiscriminately and again like the, the bombing is already bad but it could be far worse like that's the fucking crazy thing that we're watching it's like it's already bad like unlivable but it could be worse like how how is that even possible you know and again you know they're 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 saying oh well hamas can't be in control but then you're gonna wipe out gaza and then who's gonna take in control of that and like like, you don't think, like, 80% of the Hamas, current Hamas fighters, are orphans. That's what they, that's a release, a uh, statement that they released. Like, you killing thousands of civilians and children, you know, wiping out entire families, entire bloodlines have been wiped out, okay? Because they live collectively, okay? Like, they live in, like, the, the grandparents, the children, the, everybody lives in the same house. And they're killing entire families, entire bloodlines, like, you don't think that is sowing the seeds for the next war? Like, that's why Israel wants to just completely wipe them out, because they know that if Gaza continues to survive and exist, that there's going to be a next conflict. It's just, yeah, crazy. So here, yeah, um, Israel's military campaign has killed more than 17,400 people in Gaza, 70% of them women and children, and wounded more than 46,000, according to the Palestinian Territory's uh, health ministry which says many others are trapped under the rubble. The ministry does not differentiate between civilian and combatant deaths. I mean, it's crazy. Like, like 17,000, oh, of course, now it's certainly like close to the 25,000, maybe. Uh, and 70% of them, women and children. And that's, that's this totally justified war that's happening. Like, thousands and thousands of civilians. And, of course, anytime Israel bombs a target, it's because it's a Hamas target, it's a command center. It's like, oh, well, there's a command center under this school, this preschool. We have to bomb this preschool because there, there's a command center. <laughs> it's just un unreal. Unreal, man. And again, just the arrogance from the United States. The, the lack of foresight. Because on the one hand, they're... Because they, of course, are supporting Israel no matter what. 
but almost assuredly, and I've read reports that they're behind closed doors. Like they understand that this is a horrible PR, um, like public image uh, crisis that they're dealing with because they understand that like this is making them look bad and they're losing support from younger, more progressive, left-leaning uh, voter base. I mean, like the the one golden, the one silver lining of this conflict, as tragic as it is, is that young people at least are seeing what's happening and they're not radicalized into hating Arabs and Muslims. They just see people dying and they want it to stop. And they are now digging deeper into the history as to, huh, why would a group like Hamas commit an attack like this? Because we understand that resistance and um, you know decolonization is going to be violent. It's going to require um, you know acts of terror, right? As you know, as it's claimed, you know, it's always it's always an act of terror from the perspective of the occupier, and not you know the terrorism that they inflict on the occupation, because that's what it is. Colonialism and occupation is a terror uh, campaign to instill control. Uh, it's like, of course, any any other uh, time in history where, where Jews took up arms against their occupation and oppression, of course, that is seen as being justified, okay? Like right now, they're celebrating Hanukkah, right? And Hanukkah is based off of the uh, Maccabean revolt uh, from the Seleucids, you know, and, you know, in protection of the, the, the temple. I mean, I'm generalizing the history, but it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a holiday that celebrates resistance against an oppressor and like the the fucking lack of awareness that that i mean look i have a, a positive view of judaism so like again this is why i talk about zionists okay because zionists they are the ones making judaism look bad and when zionists say we are doing this for the jewish faith and people who aren't fully educated on judaism see Thousands and thousands of people dying, children being like mutilated and massacred. They think to themselves, "Oh, well, this must be Judaism. Like the the, the killing of children and civilians is admissible in Judaism." And that, I mean, of course, there is anti-Semitism on the rise because people aren't fully aware of Zionism and these other you know uh, ideologies, and they just like generalize because they're seeing an actual genocide unfold and. That's why we, as uh, you know, anti-Zionist uh, commentators, we have to make sure that there's a demarcation between Judaism and Zionism. Zionism is, is like Salafism in, in, in Islam, okay? It's an ethno-nationalist, fundamentalist ideology, a radical um, you know, extremist ideology. Just because they have a legitimate uh, state, so-called legitimate state, doesn't change anything. It's a terrorist ideology. It's an ethno-nationalist ideology. Okay? Uh, that's what it is. So, yeah. So at least here we have that um, UN vote. And, of course, the just the breakdown of Gaza that's unfolding. I mean, it's on the edge. I mean, it, it, starvation is sitting in. The, the medical uh, supply lines and, and just functions are on the collapse. And... The, the, the longer this drags out, the more people are going to die from disease and starvation. They're already saying that people are starting to get sick. It's just, it's, tra it's tragic. It's all tragic. Unbelievable. But that is the U.S. blocking the vote. And that's going to stick with this administration for 
yeah, I mean, that's the legacy of Joe Biden. That's going to stick with him forever. That this moment of crisis and humanitarian suffering, and they they supported it. And I'm not, I mean, this election is going to come into play now. And anybody who asks me, I'm just going to be straight up like, no, I'm not voting for Biden because of this genocide. I'm like, again, you know, I never got tricked into thinking, well, we can push him left. Like, well, how, how has that worked out? Like, this is this is his legacy. And, and again, you know, the, the Democrats, they're just bad at politics. They, they really are. They, they, they're creating this. They're, they create their own defeat, and then they blame the voter base. They blame young people for not voting correctly when it should be the other way around. It's like, if you want my vote, then you should carry out my platform. Okay? You should make my life better. And Democrats haven't done that. They haven't done anything to make our lives better. They take power, and then they just... They, they just fuck off with it. And then they expect you to vote for them again because, well, it's either that or the Nazi gets the power. Like they, That's what, like, I haven't even watched any of the, the Republican debates because it's just like, uh, it's going to give me aneurysm. But it's like, wow, man, these people, like, we're, we're in for a bad election year. Like, Jesus fucking Christ. I got to get my money up and get a gun <laughs> before this election starts because I don't know what's going to happen. It's going to be bad. It's going to be ugly. But... Yeah, continuing at least with the United Nations and stepping away from the Security Council with more of the General Assembly. So, and I'm recording this on December 11th. Uh, there's an upcoming uh, vote with the General Assembly for Tuesday, so that'll be tomorrow, for an immediate ceasefire of the conflict. Which, of course, you know, the, the United Nations now is just like... Because I'm a proponent for, like, the sort of global uh, council and, like, uh, sort of legislative assemblies. Like, you know, the UN in theory is a good thing. But you consider that the UN is only uh, the, UN, the UN is only effective when the, the global superpowers are in support of it. So, because, like, as we've seen, the United States voted against... The, the one uh, permanent member voted against the resolution. It's like... Well, now it's not going to happen. It's like, how are you going to have a security council if, like, one superpower can just, like, veto everything? Like, that's just, it makes no sense. It's like, they're, they're never going to be on the, like, oh, we're going to create a security council so that way we can, like, balance control of all the global superpowers. But, like, of course, the global superpowers are never going to be in agreement on anything because they have their own imperialist interests at heart. It's just, yeah, you know? So here with the General Assembly, and I'm reading from Reuters, the 193-member United Nations General Assembly is likely to vote Tuesday on a draft resolution demanding an immediate humanitarian ceasefire in the conflict between Israel and Palestine, between Israel and Palestinian militants Hamas and the Gaza Strip, diplomats said on Sunday. The move comes after the U.S. vetoed a vote on Friday, a U.N. Security Council demand for immediate ceasefire in Gaza. The General Assembly in October adopted a resolution, 121 in favor, 14 against, and 44 abstentions, calling for an immediate and durable sustained humanitarian truce leading to a cessation of hostilities. So, again, like, the General Assembly, so the vast majority of countries in the world, 
do not want this war to continue. They want a ceasefire. Like, that's the general consensus of the world. And the United States and Israel stand alone in this genocide. Like, that is, that just tells you everything. Of course, there's other nations, you know, Western, primarily Western nations that support these continued uh, attacks. But yeah, man, it's just, it's the West against the world. That's what it, that's what it really boils down to. I mean, even Israel, because like Israel has to play this tightrope of like propaganda, like, oh no, we're not a colonial outpost. Uh, oh, oh no, we're not a colonial outpost. But then at the same time, it's like that they, they also release propaganda to the West, primarily towards like progressive uh, people, uh, liberal people, because uh, they're trying to appeal more to them. Like, oh, well, you see, this is a fight between uh, good and evil against Western civilization. You know, this war is going to come to you one day, you know, and <clears throat> that's just what they're trying to portray it as. I mean, there's like a lot of like, um, you know, crusader vibes that I get from this, from the West, because it's just like, that. that's really what this is. It's just the kingdom of Israel or Jerusalem, I should say, you know, in the crusader period where it was like a colony from these like Europeans. Like, that's crazy to think about. Like, these Europeans just, like, colonized Jerusalem for, like, almost 100 years. Like, yeah, it's crazy. Well, I, I mean, a little over 100 years. But, obviously, that failed because, like, when you're on somebody else's home turf and you're under this withering attack, eventually, like, you're just going to leave. Like, like, these Israelis... Like they, they're too comfortable. Like they, they don't have the stomach for the kind of conditions that uh, the people in Gaza live under daily. Okay, like the people in Gaza are far more, are far tougher. Um, they know how to survive a siege, because that's what that's their whole life. They've lived under a siege. Israel, Israelis can't handle that. Okay, like they see a debris from a rocket falling like a hun a couple yards away from them, and they have a panic attack because it's just like. And they're leaving. They're 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 leaving en masse because Israel isn't safe anymore. That illusion of control and safety is no longer there, and people are going to get tired of having to like run to bomb shelters for every little uh, you know inconvenience. Like you know, like they were um they were like releasing TikToks of the you know Beyonce uh, movie that was premiering um in their theaters. Of course, they're releasing videos of like, which is so ironic because like, they they were dancing to uh, "Break My Soul." I'm not a Bayhive, but I know at least um, the, a lot of the songs pertain to Black Liberation, and it's just unbelievable. Like, there's a song about Black Liberation and Black Solidarity and Power, and you have these white Israelis dancing to it as their country is actively uh, genociding a population that is resisting colonization that has a history of black solidarity with the black panthers and such so it's just it's crazy like the like we live in an age of irony that like you can't like you can't even write about it because it's just like obviously it's not going to happen but then it is it's happening right now this is just irony is just it's crazy this is why i like history because you see moments like this where People are participating in something with a lack of awareness, and it's just, like, time will only tell just how depraved this is. Like, just how uh, everything is just uh, sort of 
you know, it, it speaks for itself. So, yeah. Um, again, just reading a little further. I'm reading from Reuters about uh, developments in neighboring countries such as Cairo. Because, again, other countries such as Lebanon uh, with Hezbollah on the southern border. They're, they're having their skirmishes with uh, Israeli troops. And even now they're saying that, like, their proposals to invade, which... The last time they invaded southern Lebanon, that went horribly for them. So, you know, that's, you know, like everybody was waiting for Nasrallah and his talks. And and also, like, there's other uh, forces, you know, the Houthis, the, the Yemen uh, Houthi rebels. They're, they're, uh, they're attacking the shipping lanes. Initially, they were only attacking Israeli ships. And now they've said that they will attack any ship going to Israel. Um, and they've seized a couple ships. Which is funny because like the the crew of those ships they're not Israeli nationals so like there's just like multiple videos now of the actual crew that has been taken uh, captive and they're just like dancing and and like <laughs> they're wearing like um, Yemen clothes and it's just like they're having a pretty good time <laughs> it's just like it's just so funny man Ugh, man ah, it's just but it's crazy like this rebel group in Yemen is doing more for Palestine and Gaza than the whole of the Arab world. And again, you know, of course the the you know Arab nations they don't like what's happening, but they have to like balance their response because they still want to be in good terms with the United States. So that's just the end of it. But the people in those countries they don't like what's happening and they want I mean they very much want to intervene. So there's a disconnect between the governments and control that are cozying up to the West because, you know, it's the oil and such versus the people on the ground who have solidarity with the Palestinians. And, I mean, even in Yemen, I believe, um, if I remember correctly, the whole civil war started because there was fears that, like, the government that was going to take in control was going to normalize relations with Israel, which was unacceptable and caused the the, the, the civil war to, on, to outbreak. So like this, I mean, they've released memos from like um, certain like foreign uh, officials in the United States saying that this war and our support for Israel is radicalizing an entire generation that it was almost irrevocable. It's just like there is nothing that can be done that there's like they're, they're so radicalized as to what's happening. And they're already pretty radicalized from before, you know, especially from like the war on terror. But this escalates that, you know, it's just, I mean, again, most of these people who live in these Arab countries, these Middle Eastern countries, they've themselves experienced direct, uh, you know, attacks from the United States. So they're having that solidarity with Palestine because the, the Zionist entity, as they refer to it, uh, it, it's unleashing a genocide against this uh, Palestinian population. And they have that solidarity. So it's, um, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of regional geopolitical shifts that are occurring. And I mean, it could honestly, if it escalates further, it could like cause like a new Arab Spring uh, because like the populist movements, they're just going to have enough. They're going to have a breaking point where it's like we have to overthrow this government and we have to intervene on behalf of Palestine. Like that's, yeah, so. Again, like there's there's huge implications because of this, uh, of this broader, not just the the genocide and conflict in Gaza, but the region 
and the world. Like this has huge implications. What's happening? So here from Reuters, just reading at least um, some developments in Egypt. You know, because they directly share a border, a border crossing with Gaza. So here, uh, Israel on Monday denied it intended to push Palestinians seeking refuge from its bombardment. Bombardment of Gaza over the border into Egypt as international relief agencies said hunger was spreading among the besieged enclave's civilian population. Uh, amid the worsening humanitarian crisis, Hamas fighters and Israeli troops fought across the territory with the militants trying to block Israeli tanks from advancing through the shattered streets. The health ministry said that 18,000 people have now been killed and 49,000 wounded um, in Israeli strikes on Gaza over the two months of warfare. Hundreds of them since the United States vetoed a proposal for a ceasefire at the United Nations Security Council on Friday. Most of Gaza's 2.3 million people have been driven from their homes. A residents say it's impossible to find refuge or food in the densely populated enclave. One Palestinian told Reuters he had not eaten for three days and had to beg for bread for his children. Quote, I pretend to be strong, but I am afraid I will collapse in front of them at any moment, he said by telephone, declining to be named uh, for fear of reprisals. The UNRWA, a UN body responsible for Palestinian refugees, uh, said some people are, were arriving at its health centers and shelters carrying their dead children. Um, again, you know, I, I saw one video, again, uh, of these parents literally bringing their children in plastic bags, you know, like just shopping bags. Like, you, you see images like that, and then you still have to ask yourself, why, why, does, why does Hamas exist? Why, why, do, oh, why do they keep attacking Israel? And then you see images like this, like, it's just, it's a no-brainer. It's, it's a no-brainer. So right here, uh, aid agencies have also warned of a breakdown in social order as the situation worsens. On Sunday, UN Secretary General Antonio Gutierrez uh, said he feared a mass displacement into Egypt. On Saturday, UNRWA Commissioner General Philippe Lazzarini said that pushing Gazans closer to the border pointed to attempts to move them into Egypt. Jordan also accused Israel on Sunday of seeking to empty Gaza of its people. The Israeli government on Monday denied that it that was its aim. Spokesperson's Elon Levy called the accusations outrageous and false. Again, like Israel says one thing, but then you see the situation where it's like, well, they're not going to be moved into Israel, so the only way they can go is into God, into Sinai Desert. I mean, it's a fucking desert. It's, an, it's a wasteland. And they're saying, oh, no, that's not what we want. But, of course, if that ended up happening, they wouldn't complain. And they would rather leave that bill with Egypt to sort out. It's crazy. Continuing, yeah, Levy said his country was defending itself from the monsters who had attacked Israel in a cross-border attack on October 7th. Uh, in that raid, the deadliest in Israel's history, Hamas gunmen killed 1,200 people, mostly civilians, and took 240 hostage. Uh, and according to Israeli tallies, about 100 have since been freed. The action triggered an Israeli retaliatory assault and brought the deadliest period of warfare of the decades-long uh, Israeli and Palestinian conflict. The border with Egypt is the only way out of Gaza at present, but Cairo has warned that it will not allow Gazans into its territory, fearing that they would not be able to return. So again, that's like a lot of people are saying, oh, well, why doesn't Egypt open the borders and let them come through? Right, because they will not be allowed back in. That's the same with like places like Jordan, where there's a sizable majority of Palestinian refugees. You know, there was like a claim that, I mean, I was watching again Destiny, 
and I don't mean to single him out, but he particularly that gets under my skin because he's like a Wikipedia scholar. He doesn't know what the fuck he's talking about. And he has like all these like thousands of followers who like just follow him like unquestioning. Like this guy was trying to debate Norman Finkelstein. It, <laughs> like he's just reading UN, uh Wikipedia articles. I'm like, dude. But like one of the things he's arguing about was like, why doesn't uh, countries like Jordan uh, naturalize, naturalize their you know, Palestinian population, but it's like, because they're not Jordanian nationals, they're Palestinians, they're refugees, and like, they should be allowed back into their homes, they don't want to live in Jordan, they want to go back to their homes, so it's just unbelievable, so on the one hand, like, Egypt has to like, walk this tightrope, because they can't, like, because if they open the borders and they let people come through, they're going to be stuck there, and they're not going to be allowed back in, like Israel's just gonna bulldoze the entire uh, population, the, the the entire uh, city. It's unbelievable, unbelievable. So just reading a little further here, um, just from Reuters again. Uh, here, Israel has vowed to annihilate Hamas, which has ruled Gaza since 2007 and is sworn to the Jewish state's destruction. It says its instructions to people to move areas are among measures to protect the population. It accuses Hamas of using of using civilians as human shields and stealing humanitarian aid which Hamas denies. After the collapse of a week-long ceasefire on December 1st, uh, Israel began a ground offensive in the south and has since pushed uh, from the east into the heart of the city of Khan Yunis, with warplanes attacking an area to the west. On Monday, militants and residents said fighters were preventing Israeli tanks moving forward, moving further west uh, through the city and clashing with Israeli forces in northern Gaza, where Israel had said its mission was largely complete. Uh, Israel said dozens of Hamas fighters have surrendered and urged others to join them. The armed wing of Hamas said it has fired rockets towards Tel Aviv, where Israel's fled to shelter. The Israeli military has also accused Hamas of hiding weapons in the UNRWA facilities in Jabalia and distributed a video purporting to show Hamas gunmen beating people and taking aid. Uh, Israel has prevented most aid from moving into Gaza, saying it fears that it will just fuel Hamas attacks. So yeah, that is... Uh, just you know further details but yeah there is a um, starvation crisis unfolding and uh it, it's sort of yeah it's tragic again you know the starvation and disease is going to start settling in now as the conditions worsen the more people are going to die more children are going to die and again israel is saying no we don't want to push them out we don't want to push them out but they're they're actively making this more, more inhospitable than it already was, okay? Like, again, like, 90% of the water was already undrinkable, like, contaminated. And, like, this is just making things worse, okay? Like, it's just crazy to me. Like, again, I saw another uh, video of uh, these kids where it was raining. And, like, they're just standing outside and they're like, oh, drain. Like, they, they just, because they have no water. They have no clean water. They have to, like, take out, like little buckets or whatever they can to collect it it's unbelievable man it's just unbelievable and uh it's just you know you you can go to a fucking sporting event and, and there'll be people like oh we're gonna do the national anthem and we're gonna pray for israel or you know some other bullshit like that's how normalized this genocide is in american society like this is like seriously like like and people are getting fired they're losing their jobs, they're getting docs, they're, they're, you know, students are, like, losing, like, they're getting blacklisted from 
jobs. Like, you know, there's a whole controversy with like these Ivy League schools that are trying to protect the free speech. But of course, you know, they're being pressured to crack down on these terroristic sympathies, even though nobody's saying they support Hamas. They're just they're they're supporting the civilians. But they don't view Palestinian civilians as humans. They don't view them as innocent. They just see them as like, oh, they're just extra members of Hamas. Again, they, they try to evoke these claims and these these memories of World War II. And this is like another thing where like the ambassadors are even saying, you know, when they were getting like, you know, the, the UK ambassador, she was talking about uh, this war and saying, trying to frame it for the British, you know, they're saying, oh, well, you had your blitz and, you know, uh, you were being bombed and then you res- and you responded with bombings and the Dresden and, you know, like, how can you lecture us when you did all these terrible things to German civilians? You know, it was not not justified. And it's just like, you know, that analogy doesn't work because one, Germany was a sovereign nation that had its own industries, that had a military, okay, they had their own structure, okay. Like, that's that's what happened. Okay, and also, you know, as somebody who has studied World War II, the idea that there's, like, no um, debate over the effectiveness of, like, bombings, like, mass carpet bombings, like, that is a subject of serious debate for World War II scholars. Um, and many now understand that it m- w- didn't really do much because they would have lost anyway. You know, the, the bombings just galvanized the population to support the war effort as it's galvanizing the people of Gaza to support Hamas. <laughs> like they're dying en masse. Of course, they're going to support the people fighting back against the people bombing them. Like, it's, you know, like, so yeah, uh, again, you know, um, they're, they're trying to evoke the Nazis in World War II. And not only that, because they're trying to say like, because the only frame of reference they have for Nazis and Germans is like, well, they're anti-Semitic, so because they killed Germans, uh, they, because they killed Jews, that make them anti-Semitic. Even though, like, not to say that anti-Semitism wasn't a driving force for the Nazi ideology, it certainly was. But there's a deeper driving force, which was anti-communism. That was the main driving force. They they viewed Jews as agents of communism and other undesirable groups. So that's you know the, the thing that makes the Zionist entitlement so disturbing and disgusting to me because they try to act as though they're only victims of the Holocaust when there were other groups that were victimized by it. And, you know, it doesn't make you special that, again, like, I'm a, I'm, the reason I'm a historian is because of the Holocaust in World War II. So, you know, this isn't to downplay the anti-Semitism that was driving that ideology and the atrocities. But again, you know, there's... You know, there's this um, sort of hijacking of that tragedy by the Zionists because they try to say, well, we experienced the Holocaust and we were so traumatized by this and that makes it okay for us to continue this because we can't allow it to happen again. You know, it, but they're just continuing another Holocaust and trying to frame a population that has been held captive for 80 years now as though they're Nazis and that, you know, anything can be justified against them because, well, we killed, we killed thousands of civilians and we bombed them. That's no, there's no issue there. It's just, 
uh, it, it's upsetting to me to see that, to, to see that lack of awareness. But anyway, I digress. So here, reading from Reuters about uh, recent uh, EU uh, proposals for sanctions against uh, violent Israeli settlers, so individual Israeli settlers. Uh, this is coming from the uh, the, U, the EU foreign policy chief, Joseph Borrell. Uh, and, he, and this is from Reuters. So Joseph Borrell uh, said on Monday he would propose sanctions against Jewish settlers responsible for violence against Palestinians in the Israeli-occupied West Bank. Uh, Borrell was speaking after EU foreign ministers debated possible next steps in their response to the Middle East crisis triggered by Palestinian militant groups Hamas's deadly October 7th attack on Israel from Gaza. While much international attention has focused on the cross-border assault and Israel's subsequent war against Hamas and Gaza, European officials have also expressed concerns about rising violence against Palestinians in the West Bank. Borrell has said he would propose a special sanctions program to target Hamas, backed by the foreign ministers of France, Germany, and Italy, but EU also had to act against violent Israeli settlers. Quote, the time has come to move on from words to actions and to start adopting the measures we can take with regards to the actions of violence against Palestinian populations in the West Bank, Burrell told reporters after the meeting in Brussels. UN figures show daily settlers' attacks have more than doubled since the Hamas attack and Israel's assault on Gaza. Burrell said the ministers had not yet shown the unanimous support that would be necessary to pass such a measure, but he stressed that he had not yet submitted a formal proposal. Uh, EU officials would drop a list of people known for attacks on Palestinians in the West Bank, and he would then propose they be sanctioned for human, human rights abuses, he said. Uh, Barol did not say what the sanctions would entail, but EU officials have said that would involve bans on travel to the EU. Diplomats have predicted it would be hard to get unanimity for EU-wide bans, as countries such as Austria and the Czech Republic and Hungary are uh, staunch allies of Israel. But some suggested a decision last week by the United States, Israel's biggest backers, to start imposing visa bans on people involved in violence in the West Bank could encourage EU countries to take similar steps. So, right, that is, you know, at least some measures that they're taking into play. You know, trying to at least propose. Yeah, um, it, it's just crazy. You know, it, it's just... Because uh, this isn't just... Gaza, because Gaza is controlled by Hamas, and they're trying to frame it as, well, no, we're here to, to destroy Hamas. But there are assaults on Palestinian communities and homes in the West Bank, where there is no Hamas, and there have actually been multiple airstrikes in the West Bank. So, you know, there's no Hamas in the West Bank, No, nobody from the West Bank participated in the attacks, and yet they're digging in further and attacking and there, there have been raids in cities like Janine. So this is very clearly an assault from Israel against all of Palestine. That they, they view all Palestinians as legitimate targets and they are going to attack all Palestinians. And that's just um, what they're planning to carry out. It's, um, yeah, uh, this is all uh, tragic to watch Israel... You know, right now they're committing the most egregious atrocities of our time. And, you know, again, this episode I just dedicated completely towards uh, this catastrophe that's unfolding. 
uh, and this is going to continue, and this is going to be a subject of heavy observation. Of course, you know, as the new episodes, and, and this is actually episode 50, so this is sort of, yeah, it, it was, this is sort of, um, you know, a new stage, right? As I said, you know, graduating from college, getting my bachelor's, and now committing more full-time into this program and into other projects and, you know, work, history work. But yeah, I mean, this this war, this genocide is uh, something that we're going to have to keep watching as the months continue and who knows what's going to unfold for Palestine and for God, and for Israel. It's um it's sad to see it's sad to see that in a time like this, in our time, these conflicts are still continuing. This hatred and bigotry still exists. This barbarism is what it is. Again, I don't know how anybody else can watch like images and videos of like dead children just day by day. Just like, I, yeah. I mean, I have to do it because this is my work. And I'm trying my best to keep my, my mental health in good shape, you know, sort of, it's sad to say that, like, I've grown used to the image of dead children, I don't like it, it still makes me sick, but, but, you know, I have to tell myself that I have to see this, because it, it would, I would be a coward not to, you know, there's a lot of people who support Israel, but they don't want to see this, and they're fucking cowards, you know, at least, you know, I can say, that I'm not going to look away from this. This is a like this would be a failure of conscience if I did. Yeah, man. I mean, this is truly a radicalizing experience for me. I was already radicalized, but it's just like just to see how depraved and how bad it can get. And still, this could be far worse. This can get so much more worse. I don't know how it can, but it can. Like this is just man. It's just crazy, man crazy and the thing is like i know palestinians too i have you know i have childhood friends who are palestinian they're good people like i've never once detected any anti-semitism they, they just they don't they don't like there's just they, there's none it, they they just want freedom for their families they just want peaceful lives they just want the chance to go back to the homeland like they can't even go back like if they if they like if they landed in a in a tel aviv airport ben gurion airport like they would get stopped and they would get like they would be sent right back because they have like the the intelligence has like a dossier for like every Palestinian. <laughs> it's unbelievable, unbelievable. And, you know, the, the cowardice that I'm seeing from just normal everyday people, the you know lack of courage to stand up to this and to speak out about it. You know, like it's more upsetting to me to see people who support BLM, but then don't support this. But, you know, it's, you know, it's one thing to see people not support it. But it's another thing to see, like, some, like, a close friend of mine who I've never really spoken to, like, in depth with about this, you know. And, you know, there was somebody who, like, who grew up right wing in a conservative environment. And over the years, they've grown more left wing. But it's like, you know, this Palestine-Israel conflict, that's real. That's the real, like, you know, test. Like, okay, where do you stand on this? And it's surprising to see them just organically come to the conclusion of Palestinian liberation. Like not, not, not with any intervention on my part or any, any education. They just, 
they, they see what's happening, they see the misery and the destruction, and they understand who's in the right and who's in the wrong. They understand what causes a population, like in Gaza, to resort to the extremist attacks that we saw. So, yeah, this is truly like a telling moment where you see people's true colors. And for many young people, this is certainly the, a radicalizing experience for them. So, like, again, we're just going to have to see what unfolds. Um, you know, that's sort of the, the, the history that's unfolding at the moment. Yeah. So, you know, I, again, I, I kind of draw comparisons to the Vietnam War. Like, this is sort of our Vietnam War. Like, you know, yeah, man, it's crazy. It's crazy to think about. And it's crazy to think about what we are going to say in the future about this and where people stood. Because it's everything. Like, where you stand now is going to stick with you forever. So I have no reservations about my position, about uh, Palestinian liberation. Like, none. And that's why I feel the need to stay more um, in the independent sort of podcasting and uh, content creation, you know, political commentary sphere. Because I need that freedom to say what I can say. Because otherwise, I'm going to be dissected and examined and if you don't have uh, independent support you're going to be at the whims of advertisers and you know this corporate environment that is not going to take a radical position for Palestinian liberation which is interesting because some of the mainstream reporters they have been asking Israeli officials like what are you going to do to ensure Palestinian uh, lives you know, the safety of the non-combatants. And it's funny because, like, you can tell that they're trying to, like, give the Israeli, like, uh, spokesperson, they're trying to give them a softball. Like, hey, just, just like, look, I support your right to defend yourself, but just give me something to show that you have some basic humanity, that you're not going to massacre, like, over 2 million people. And then they're just getting, the, the Israelis are getting so mad. They're like, why are you asking me about... Palestinian civilians were fighting Nazis like they get so mad and like the 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 news person is just like dude like I'm trying to just give me something that we can work on like it's just yeah it's just crazy it's just the lack of humanity bro I'm sorry man but well again as I said we're gonna see what unfolds in the next months or so um this is you know like it might be if it's own, like because I, I like to divide my show into different programs but like this could honestly be like its own dedicated segment just to follow events but yeah man at least um you know because this is a uh, like this is sort of like if you want to like call about talk about seasons like this is sort of the new season of my podcast <laughs> and I'm gonna try to be more consistent with the next few months now because I mean, I have no school, you know, I'm graduated, you know, I'm going to do work. I mean, I work DoorDash and I would prefer to continue with that in the meantime, because it gives me the flexibility and freedom to continue with this work. So I would encourage that you, uh, you know, support my work as best as you can. You know, as I said, you know, you can support as little as $1 and get early access on the Patreon um, and there's other tiers, which I'm going to have to iron out. But yeah, this is exciting because now I can have the freedom to continue my work and, uh, you know, put it out there. That's, that's all it's about, you know? So I appreciate y'all, uh, tuning in with this. 
podcast and you know just bearing with me during this time you know i promise now to be more dedicated towards this program i have a lot of projects and 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 working and and there's a lot you know that there's you know there's some ambition here that i want to carry out with and you know have uh, some plan for you know research and documentaries and you know podcasts and again you know just got to do it right so appreciate y'all you know listening in you know i hope to I, I hope that you stay with me on this journey this new stage of this program and you know other uh, works that i have in mind and also you can follow me on twitter x.com uh the collapse talk pod and other aspects of social media i don't even know if, I, I probably should start a discord i'm not really the type of a group chat person but that might not be the worst idea but we'll see you know i'll have to iron that out in time but yeah uh, that is um episode 50 you know we are going to enter this new stage and i'm glad that you're with me love you guys just hang in there if you're dealing with something you know i've certainly been dealing with a lot but hey you know there's always you know greener grass right so thank you again and see you in the next one Thank you.